This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. It is Monday, Martin Luther King Jr. Day Observed. I am a great admirer of Martin Luther King Jr. And I really enjoy this day because it gives us an opportunity to look back at Martin Luther King Jr. and his work. And there are a lot of different aspects of Martin Luther King's work that you're going to hear a great deal about today. Almost all of what you're going to hear about relates to civil rights. However, there are a couple of different aspects of Martin Luther King's work that I think are worth exploring. Namely, I think the work that he did towards the very end of his life, where his emphasis was not necessarily on civil rights and racism, well, it was, But it was more, it was less direct and it was more indirect in that it focused on a much bigger world issue. You see, Martin Luther King became, in the last year of his life, and in the face of clear personal risk, an uncompromising opponent, not only of nuclear war, but of modern warfare in any form. In his Christmas message of 1967, he said plainly, quote, Wisdom born of experience should tell us that war is obsolete. There may have been a time when war served as a negative good by preventing the spread and growth of an evil force, but the very destructive power of modern weapons of warfare eliminates even the possibility that war may any longer serve as a negative good. And so... If we assume that life is worth living, if we assume that mankind has a right to survive, then we must find an alternative to war. Now, it's true, the world is a less violent place internationally and around the world than it was in 1967. That's true. But whereas if you look at the bulk of the work that Martin Luther King did in the late 50s and early 60s, stuff like uh, the Civil Rights Movement, the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act... I think you'd have to say that almost every aspect of his civil rights agenda was a resounding success. You don't see the Jim Crow laws in place in any part of our country anymore. You don't see black folks riding in the back of the bus. You don't see black people being denied the right to vote or anything like that. However, the military-industrial complex, a term coined or at least brought to widely popular acclaim by General Eisenhower... That is still running the world. And that is one lesson of Martin Luther King's work that never gets talked about and that the United States as a government has still refused to heed. And it would be tragic if the United States, whose last several presidential administrations going at least back to the time of George W. Bush, 
They've explicitly rejected Martin Luther King's ideas. It would be tragic if his creative, nonviolent, direct action in the realm of foreign policy doesn't at least be get talked about today when that was exactly what Martin Luther King was demanding to be done in 1967. Um, in April of 1967, he gave a speech called Beyond Vietnam, in which he talked about the crisis that the United States military was involved in at that time. Will there be another message of longing, of hope, of solidarity with their yearnings, of commitment to their cause, whatever the cost, the choice is ours. And though we might prefer it otherwise, we must choose in this crucial moment of human history. As that noble bard of yesterday, James Russell Lowell, eloquently stated, once to every man and nation comes a moment to decide in the strife of truth and falsehood for the good evil side, some great cause, God's new Messiah, offering each the groom of light, and the choice goes by forever, twixt that darkness, though the cause of evil prosper. Yet this truth alone is strong, though her portion be the scaffold. And upon the throne be wrong, yet that scaffold sways the future. Behind the dim unknown standeth God within the shadow, keeping watch above his own. So in my view, it's the duty of everybody that would follow what Martin Luther King actually said and what he actually taught to rise in full, quote, troubling opposition to what he would say to this doctrine of foreign policy through warfare, which is being promulgated all over the world. And it's especially true as that criminal force doctrine masquerading as the rule of law pertains to conflicts like this NATO proxy war against Russia and Ukraine. Now, I'm always hesitant to um, extrapolate things that people who were alive 50 or 60 years ago would say about the present conflict, so I don't want to draw too many parallels to it. But I do think it's interesting that Martin Luther King was assassinated and that there was a trial, a civil suit, 24 years ago that nobody talks about. Nobody. Nobody talks about this civil suit. You know what that civil suit found 24 years ago? The King family versus Lloyd Jowers and other conspirators. This was a civil suit brought by the family of Martin Luther King against Lloyd Jowers. Who was Lloyd Jowers? Lloyd Jowers claimed that there was a conspiracy in the assassination of a civil rights leader. And the jury decided in 1991, excuse me, 1999, that there was a conspiracy perpetuated by Jowers and other conspirators. And I believe that there is a strong likelihood that Martin Luther King was killed because, in part because of his opposition to the Vietnam War 
and in part because of his willingness to speak up against the military-industrial complex. Because if you look at what he said and did in the sphere of civil rights, all of it got done. If you look at what he was seeking to have the United States do in terms of diminishing militarism around the world, none of it got done, in part because his life was cut short. Now, Lloyd Jowers. Now, I had William Pepper, who, you see, it's very interesting. William Pepper is one of the most interesting guys in the world. And I had him on this show two years ago. But unfortunately, I'm told that the podcast of that show has vanished Uh, We're working on trying to get it restored, but uh, it's vanished. So two years ago, he was on this show. Do you know William Pepper is a fascinating guy? He represented, as an attorney, James Earl Ray. He believed that James Earl Ray was a patsy. He was set up as the assassin of Martin Luther King, that he didn't really do it. And then he came to represent the King family. Now, think about that. Have you ever in your life ever heard of an example of a lawyer go from representing the uh, pers- the assassin to the family of the person that he assassinated. It would be like uh, a lawyer going, to rep- going from representing Lee Harvey Oswald to the Kennedy family because the, the King family never bought this. So in 1993, and this is all public record, and this was decided by a jury, Lloyd Jowers, in 1993, appeared on uh, the ABC News program, Primetime Live, and he claimed that he was paid $100,000 by a mobster by the name of Frank Liberto to help organize the assassination of Martin Luther King in 1968. Jowers owned a Memphis coffee shop directly across the rooming house where King was supposedly shot by James Earl Ray. Jowers remained silent for 25 years after the assassination. After watching James Earl Ray's HBO mock trial on TV, Jowers produced his confession and claimed that he was part of a larger conspiracy to assassinate King and frame Ray as a patsy. So what the jury found, this civil suit, found that Jowers and elements of the government locally and nationally, conspired to assassinate King. Uh, The jury that heard the case only deliberated for an hour, and they reached a unanimous verdict that King was assassinated as a result of a conspiracy. They found Jowers responsible and also found that uh, governmental agencies were among the conspirators. The King family was granted the $100 They requested in damages, and they saw it as vindications. Martin Luther King's son, Dexter, said, quote, This is the period at the end of the sentence. So please, after today, this is the son of Martin Luther King. I want to repeat that. Please, after today, we don't want questions like, Do you believe James Earl Ray killed your father? I've been hearing that all my life. This is the son of Martin Luther King. I want to repeat that. No, I don't. And this is the end of it. Coretta Scott King, Martin's widow, said after the verdict, there is abundant evidence of a major high-level conspiracy in the assassination of my husband. The jury found that the mafia and various government agencies were deeply involved in the assassination. Mr. Ray was set up to take the blame. So before you call me a conspiracy theorist, call the jury. That found that listened to the evidence and ruled 
that this was a conspiracy. Call them conspiracy theorists. Call the widow and children of one of the most celebrated men in American history, the only guy other than George Washington and maybe Abraham Lincoln that has an act, or and Columbus that has a day named after him as an official government holiday. Call his family conspiracy theorists. And yet, this never gets talked about. Never. I am betting this is the first time some of you have heard about this. Why? I Again, I don't want to sound too conspiratorial, but I think that there are forces at work in the media industrial complex, the media governmental industrial complex, that would just like you to think about Martin Luther King as this altruistic guy that was killed by one lone gunman instead of someone that was a victim as the jury determined of a conspiracy that the government was a part of. Now, the jury did not necessarily find that he was killed because of his opposition to the Vietnam War. That's my supposition. But if you look at what the FBI under J. Edgar Hoover tried to do in terms of, and this is all public record, in terms of getting Martin Luther King Jr. to kill himself, trying to get him to kill himself, in trying to blackmail him by exposing his affairs and things of that nature, the government of this country tortured this man. And a jury found that there were elements of this government that actually killed him. And yet, I'm the only guy that mentions this. And you have to ask yourself why. 800-848-9222. Rather than uh, spend Martin Luther King Day, talk about how great black people are doing or how uh, far black people still have to go in terms of uh, fulfilling Martin Luther King's quest for civil rights or say, oh, if Martin Luther King were alive today, he'd be a Republican or he'd be a Democrat or he'd be this or he'd be that. My view is the best thing that you can do to commemorate Martin Luther King Day is ask why the military industrial complex has continued to grow, why our military budget has continued to grow, why the only growth industry seemingly at times in D.C. is to be a lobbyist for one of these big defense contractors. And I think you need to ask yourself the question, did this play a role in Martin Luther King's death? As far as I'm concerned, I never believed this lone gunman theory of James Earl Ray. You know who else didn't? Dexter King, Martin Luther King III, Coretta Scott King. 800-848-9222. Does that make any sense to you? 800-848-9222. This was a, a genuine, honest-to-God jury verdict. And yet, that decision is a little bit more than a footnote in history. Why? That should be one of the most consequential things ever. Whenever we talk about the Kennedy assassination, what do you hear? Warren Commission, Warren Commission, Warren Commission. Warren Commission found this. Warren Commission found that. When we talk about the Martin Luther King assassination, why do you never hear that a jury found 24 years ago that he was killed as a result of a conspiracy and was not killed by James Earl Ray? 800-848-9222. We're going to, we'll, we'll try to either, in the coming days, either restore that uh, William Pepper interview 
or uh, at the or maybe try and get a hold of William Pepper again. He's tough to get a hold of these days, and he you know he's older. But um, we'll we'll work on that. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Let me tell you what else is coming up. Coming up in about ten minutes, an issue that not only affects New Yorkers but all Americans. Uh, the issue of New York City's retirees, New York's cops, New York's firefighters, New York's uh, teachers, New York sanitation workers. They're poised to be screwed because when they took their jobs, they were under the impression that they were going to get a certain quality of health care. Now they're going to be forced, in all likelihood, to switch to Medicare Advantage. The current mayor of New York and the last mayor of New York were in this deal with the unions to give them new contracts and save the city a whole lot of money at the expense of our retirees. I have a major problem with this, and we're going to talk with Marianne Pizzatola, the president of the uh, New York City Organization of Public Service Retirees. Looking forward to talking with her and uh, getting her take on what exactly is happening because I think some people still don't understand it and what can be done about it. Now, why are we talking this about this on a national show? Okay, it just affects New York. The issue of health care is one that every city is going to have to contend with. It's one that every city is going to have to deal with. And I think that uh, you may see a lot of cities around the country do what New York has done here and try to get some health care savings at the expense of retirees who came to expect a certain standard of health care at a certain price. So we're going to get into that in a big way. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. We also have uh, commendations coming your way and a bunch of other interesting things uh, throughout the morning. 800-848-9222. Six open lines. Uh, let me begin with William in Asbury Park. Hello, William. Hey, Mr. Morano. Listen, a uh, wonderful interview last time with William Shatner, but I'll get into the reason why they didn't like King and a reason why, unfortunately, he, he got taken out. It's because of his overall message of togetherness and the, re- the way you beat the system is you come together and build your own parallel economies, and we love one another, be white, be a black, be a Jew, Gentile, or Muslim. You got to deny the system's power over you through peaceful non-compliance and not violence. And how do you do that? You have your own resources. How do you do that? Education and building your own parallel economies. The same reason why Kennedy's dome got turned into a meat canoe using the mob, the system using the mob to do so because of H.R. 111. He wanted to neuter the Federal Reserve, the fiat currency banking cartel system that's used well, well, let's let's hold off on the, on the Kennedy and the Federal Reserve thing because we're going down a, a different path. But let me ask about the the King um, you, the King comment that you made. Um, okay, let's say I, okay, makes sense that you might disagree with my take that he was killed because of what he was saying on Vietnam War and militarism in general. But do you believe, as the jury did, that um, he was killed not by James Earl Ray, but as the result of a conspiracy that involved elements of the government? I don't know if they used James L. Ray to, as, as a uh, you know puppet to kill him, or if he was killed by somewhere somebody else. But, but you, there, but do you think he was killed as a result of a conspiracy? I do. Yeah. Well. So, and I think, and thank you, William. 
And the fact that a jury found that, and it's something that you never hear about, I think is very telling. It, whether I'm right or whether William's right, I mean, to me, that's groundbreaking. And I've, I've felt this has been one of the least reported major historical events over the last 24 years. 800-848-9222. Uh, this is a, uh, a clip of William Pepper. Is this from my interview with him? Oh, well, well done, Alex, in finding this. I gave Alex this um, request about uh, 45 minutes, uh, you know, before the show. I, and I thought it would be easy. Little did I know it was part of this secret archive that was that was deleted. But this is a, a little bit of uh, my interview with William Pepper a couple of years ago. Again, Pepper was the lawyer for James Earl Ray, who became the lawyer for the King family in this uh, civil suit where the jury ruled that he was killed as a result of a conspiracy. He's William Pepper. I, I like like most people in America, believe that uh, that James Earl Ray was guilty. He was a lone assassin, and uh, was was duly tried, convicted, and sentenced. And uh, then at one point, I had a conversation with Ralph Abernathy, and Ralph um, uh, asked me if I would be kind enough to go to the prison with him and uh, and interview James, and or rather interrogate James. And I told Ralph I knew nothing about the case, that I hadn't done any work on it, that I assumed that James was guilty, and it would take me some time. This was back in 1978, would you believe, 77, 78. So I said I would need some time to 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 brief myself on, on the case again, which I did. And then in August of 78, we went up to the prison and uh, I put James through a grueling five-hour uh, interview interrogation. And as a result of that... That that interview, everyone in the room, and there was, that included Ralph, myself, James's lawyer at the time was Mark Lane, a psychiatrist from Harvard whom I brought along, who was a body language specialist to uh, intensely look at uh, at James when I put him on, under stress, and uh, myself and James. Everyone in the room was convinced that. James O'Reilly was not the shooter, that he didn't kill Martin King. Now, we, I'm hasten to conclude at that point in time in 1978, we tended to believe that uh, still that he had some role to play in it, but that he was not the actual assassin. But he raised enough issues, raised enough questions that I began to go on a solitary basis quietly into Memphis, Tennessee, and began to look up people and interview witnesses and uh, started, if you will, an informal investigation of the case. So, obviously, this is a lengthy discussion that we had, and that was just a little bit of it. My thanks to Matt Blaze uh, for uh, finding that in our uh, our archives. We're going to try and dig up the whole thing, and then if we can dig it up, I will uh, repost it on my Facebook page today at facebook.com slash MoranoFan. But my point remains the same. I agree with William Pepper. I don't think James Earl Ray killed Martin Luther King. I think, as the jury found, Martin Luther King was killed as a result of a conspiracy, and if he was conceal, con- killed as a result of a conspiracy, 
I don't think it was for advocating the kind of things that he was doing in the early 60s, equality for blacks and civil rights and that sort of thing. I think it's the thing that the United States government, the sort of injustice that the United States government is still a party to, which is uh, increased and enhanced militarism around the world. All right, we're going to talk with Marion Pizzatola in just a bit about what's going on with New York's retirees and how they are being screwed. But first, let me say hello to Lynn in Manhattan. Hello, Lynn. Hello, Frank. Um, yes, we have a nonprofit called Kelb. We deal with non-consensual human experimentation. Um, and so we've come across situations like you're discussing. And I'm a paralegal. Um, I'm not working right now, um, but I've been a paralegal in New York for about 15 years. Um, I do agree with what you said about Martin Luther King. Um, I thank you very much for bringing it up. And I agree, the military-industrial complex um, is responsible for quite a bit in the past and probably still in the future. Uh, I'm sorry we don't have more time now, Lynn, but if you can, please email me. I'd like to learn more about that group, and maybe we could do a segment on that in the future. Oh, that would be wonderful. That would be wonderful. What is your email? Uh, I'm going to put you on hold. Kenneth will give it to you, okay? It's very simple. I'm going to put you on hold. Don't hang up. All right, we're going to talk about, uh, very quickly, actually, Henry's been holding. Henry in Manhattan, uh, we got about 30 seconds here because I'm uh, way late, but they're all yours. Hi, good evening. Uh, I I think... uh, there's only one truth. And uh, when James Earl Gray was uh, uh, convicted um, as being the sole gunman, that was the truth. Uh, When it was found that he was part of a conspiracy, that was a verdict which represented the truth. You can either look at it that way or you can say, the truth keeps changing. Right. Henry, I'm going to have to give you the last word there. We'll move on. We'll revisit this a little bit later because it is Martin Luther King Day and we're going to explore various aspects of his life and unfortunately his death and his legacy that continues. But uh, I am uh, very disturbed, as I know a number of you are, about what is poised to happen to some of, New- not some of, all of New York City's retirees. New York workers that took a job as a police officer, as a firefighter, as a sanitation worker, as a teacher under a certain expectation of how their retirement would go, the city's about to pull the rug out from under them. Now, there's a unique coalition of groups that are trying to stop this. You're seeing the the right-wing city council members, the so-called Common Sense Caucus, and you're seeing the more progressive members unite to fight against this, which I love. But we're going to find out exactly what's going on here with the woman that's been leading this fight, Marianne Pizzatola, in just a moment. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Marano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
am not the greatest fan of 1990s music, but I'll tell you, this song, One Headlight by the Wallflowers, this has got to be one of my favorite songs from the whole decade. It's great, um, as far as I'm concerned. Thank you for playing that. If uh, you're old enough to remember this song, chances are you might be old enough to have been or to be currently a New York City retiree. And New York City is getting closer to putting more than a quarter million retired city workers on a new health care plan. And this plan switch from retirees' current Medicare plans to a wholly privatized plan called Medicare Advantage has received a lot of pushback from some retirees. And the person leading that pushback is Marianne Pizzatola, the president of the New York City Organization of Public Service Retirees. Marianne, thanks for joining us. I know it's a tough hour, and I know you're working around the clock these days. (laughs) Good morning. Yes, thanks for having me. Marianne, uh, give us the basics, uh, a little bit of the recent history here. What exactly is the city trying to do? Who is trying to do it? And why are they trying to do it? Well, um, the city is trying to move Medicare-eligible retirees uh, off their federal Medicare onto privatized Medicare Advantage. And the reason why is because these programs are subsidized by the federal government, and so it would be a, quote, savings to the city. The city would no longer have to pay for our small Medigap plans um, a Medigap plan is the is the part of the plan that pays for the medical bills that Medicare doesn't. So Medicare covers 80% of your Medicare uh, medical bills, and your small Medigap would pay that last 20%. Um, last January, the city imposed copays on this plan. Now that amount to about a car payment to most seniors, especially your most infirm, as this is your most vulnerable population. So now on top of uh, if they're offering you the ability to either opt out of this Medicare Advantage plan if you don't want it, but if you opt out, they want to charge you a premium of starting of $200 a month plus these copays. It would be extremely prohibitive for most of us uh, who are on smaller pensions not be able to afford that. So just for the, really- for the benefit, Marianne, of people outside of New York or for folks that haven't been following this, what the city is essentially saying is if you want to keep the health care that you have, the Medicare plan that you have, which heretofore has been free for retirees, and that's part of the deal that uh, the city made with retirees when they chose to become cops, become firefighters, et cetera, they're saying if you want to keep the health care that you have, it's going to be about $200 a month. Plus, yes, absolutely. That's that's you framed that perfectly. <laughs> and, and so the city is proposing this switch um, simply to save to save money. That's what they're saying. Um, they're saying that they that well, the our former unions are really the ones that are pushing this as a cost savings. Last year, the city said to the unions, "Well, if you push those retirees into these Medicare plans, uh, the money we would have spent on them will give to you." We didn't believe this. It took a real. It was it was devastating to us to hear that that this would even be agreed to because as as labor, we would never agree to privatization. Uh, this teachers fight uh, against privatizing public education. Why would you p- privatize public health? This just didn't make any sense. 
but yet they all keep touting the money. It's the money, the money, the federal subsidy. They all want the subsidy. And this just doesn't make any sense to us. So we chose to fight it. So the municipal unions, the teachers union, for instance, and the other municipal unions, which are supposed to be looking out for all the dues paying members, the current workers and the retirees, they did this because it's a savings to them as well? Or was it because it would give them a better uh, contract negotiation footing with the city? Why, in your opinion, did the um, municipal unions agree to this? I want to believe um, that they, I believe they were lied to. I I don't want to believe that they did this on purpose to us. I I just, uh, my brain just doesn't want to go that way. I believe that the city is still arguing that this plan is better than what we have, and they're not understanding it's a diminishment, or they don't want it publicized that it's a diminishment. So, of course, they sold it that way. And look, you know, union leaders are young. They're, They're 30, 40 years old. They don't understand the difference um, between Medicare and Medicare Advantage. It, it, it's, I tried to explain it to a young man the other day, and I said, well, you know, a Pinto and a Mustang, are they the same thing? Well, they're cars. No, they're, they're, yeah, okay, they're cars, but they're not the same. And this is exactly the problem we're running into, is that they think that everything is the same. Okay, so they're both cars. They're both insurance plans, but they're materially different, and their Medicare Advantage is, is you know, fraught with issues. Most of the insurers that sell Medicare Advantage are either under indictment by the Department of Justice or under investigation. And the Health and Human Services Office of the Inspector General has put out reports that these companies wrongly delay and deny care because they're for profit. They have to make money somehow. And what they did in this type of a plan at the city, and this is happening around the country. This is not just a New York problem. Municipalities are doing this all over the place because of a 2000 rule change that happened um, under the, uh, the president at the time who changed the federal rule to permit employers and unions to auto-enroll their retirees into these privatized Medicare plans. And that's why we're here. So I keep trying to tell people, yes, this is happening in New York, but it's happening in Maine and in Connecticut right. and New Hampshire and Ohio and Delaware. It's happening everywhere because of this. Uh, I'm so glad you mentioned that. If people are just tuning in, we're talking with Marianne Pizzatola. She's the president of New York City Organization of Public Service Retirees. The retirees that I speak to are very fired up about the fact that they may have to pay money to keep their existing health care plan. But uh, yeah. listen to what Marianne is saying. Uh, this is not a New York-only fight. Pretty soon, this could be an issue that uh, retirees all around the country are forced to contend with. Marianne, what is the latest with this? I know that there was a hearing at City Hall last week. I know that there was a, a press conference and rally. I also know that there's been some movement in the courts. Where are we with this at this point, and where are we going? Uh, well, right now, let's see, we filed our lawsuit in uh, August of 21. We won in March. The city appealed the next day. We had oral arguments in October. The appellate court came back unanimously for us in uh, the and, end of November. And, and what is the lawsuit's basis? What, what are you contending in the lawsuit? That that first one, because we, we have a second, but that first one was that the, the city could not um, 
force us to pay to keep what we currently have because there is it's in violation of a city statute that treats everyone equitably. The statute that we've been arguing to protect, which we are still pro- arguing to protect today, states that the city will pay the full cost of health insurance for every employee, retiree, and their dependent up to the same cap. And yet the unions and the city want to try to change that so that they control what that benchmark is for any, quote, class of individuals without defining the class. And what that will develop is they'll create classes of haves and have-nots. It it just becomes dangerous. We're going backwards, not forwards. Got it. And uh, one council member was explaining to me that if the city council doesn't do something, that it will actually take away the ability of retirees to sue prospectively. Um, can you, is that accurate? Number one, can you explain that to me? If they don't do, don't do such so there's this concern. If they don't, if they change the code, it would, it would uh, diminish our ability to further litigate this for our due process. And we tried to explain to them if they do change it, our, the whole basis of our argument is based on the statute that gives us, tells us what the city has to pay up to. If you change that code, you're diminishing my ability to further litigate this argument that we've won on twice in two courts before six different justices. So clearly, I don't want them to do that. I want them to maintain the code that was put into place in 1967 that protects us all equally and allow me to try to litigate this as I have no other protection. It's either I take it to the court or I get the counsel to help me because once you are retired under New York State Taylor law, your union can no longer represent you. They're only legally allowed to represent those with wages, hours, and work conditions. As a retiree, you have none. But traditionally, under past practice, the unions protected retirees. This was the hardest thing to come by was being labor is to recognize that your former union is now trying to take something away from you that you earned and paid for to benefit themselves today. This is mind-blowing. This to us, for all of us that are in labor, I have a labor relations degree. We, you know, we, we are labor. We are unions. And to hear that we're now challenging our former unions and our former employer, this, this just blew our mind. Um, we're talking with Marianne Pizzatola. Marianne, there are going to be some people listening to this and uh, a lot of taxpayers, say, in New York, and that they say, look, the city is facing huge deficits in the coming years, and Medicare Advantage is uh, a relatively, uh, playing devil's advocate here, a relatively mm-hmm. painless way to save some money, and uh, the plan that the retirees have now um, the costs keep soaring and the city just can't afford it. What do you say to those folks that say the city has to do some belt tightening? And while this is unfortunate, uh, this is still a much more generous health care plan than a lot of other private sector employees have to deal with. So there's a few points to that. Uh, our little health plans pay less than 20 percent of our care. Our plus our health plans are not skyrocketing. 1997, our plans cost almost $89. Today, they cost 160, uh, 190. So, so for that kind of a spread between 1997 and 2023, to go from $89 to $191, that's really not skyrocketing. Sorry. Um, in my years of work, 
all of these retirees, we gave up wages. We gave up benefits. I took two years of zero zeros, no Mm. wage increase whatsoever under the Giuliani administration. So I earned and paid for what I have. And you always knew as a civil servant, you would never get rich doing this job, but you would have good benefits. And it was a form of deferred compensation. You weren't going to get it now, but you'd get it later. That was the promise. So you, you were okay with that. I was of the generation you prepared for your future. I was okay to do without while I was younger. When I'm older, I knew I would have that security. That's what I worked for, and that's what I wanted. You have retirees today, that cops and firemen, that retired in 1979. I have a, a fireman and a police officer. Right off the top of my head, I know both of their names, and uh, Harvey and Dan. They both retired. When they retired, their top pay was $15,000 a year. Today, their pensions are around $26,000. Mm-hmm. They can't afford this. And I don't want to tell a 90-something-year-old, I'm really sorry, but the city, the city knew since 1967 that they were supposed to pay, prepare and plan to pay for your health care for the rest of your life. Their failure to plan all of a sudden is your emergency. So sorry I have to take away your health care, Mr. Mr. Dan and, and Mr. Harvey. Very, very sorry. Uh, Marion, you, you got to come back soon and uh, give us an, an update on, on what, what's going on. But give me your best prediction uh, as you see the uh, the chessboard now, as you see the uh, the players lining up on both sides of this, the courts being with it, where it is, the mayor being where he is, and the council being where they are. How do you see this playing out going forward? Um. I, there, like everyone else, you know, we have our, our concerns. I believe, I want to believe that the council is going to say, you know what, the retirees have no other due process. Let's give them their, their, the, the ability to fight this in court and give them their due process. I want the council to, I want to believe that the council will be there if, if hey, it works, best case scenario, it works and I win. Yay me. If I don't win in court, then I can come back to the council and say, all right, let's sit down and figure out how we can do this. Let's do something to protect the diminishment uh, benefits from being diminished from our former unions in the city of New York. That would be the best case scenario. The mayor, I have no idea because he refuses to meet with me. I begged him to meet. I've called his office. They've canceled meetings with me last minute. We've found savings. We found uh, over $300 million on the low side upwards of 600 million on the on the high end and even as high as 1.2 million dollars in in savings and in revenue if he would just listen to me and meet with me i mean we were retirees we ran this city he needs to sit down with us and just stop taking this one perspective they haven't turned over every ter- every stone there's other things that they can do than take away from your most infirm vulnerable population how to trickle down on this People are watching. Who is going to want to work for the city of New York and stay there any length of time if they know that they're working towards something that will ultimately can be taken away from them when they're retired? Why would you do that? Mm. Uh, Marianne, we're going to have to end it there. Uh, Wishing you the best of luck on this. Thanks for the great work that you're doing on this on behalf of the many New York City retirees that listen to this program. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Thank you. Marianne Pizzatola, you could check out... uh, their website, nycretirees.org. That's nycretirees.org. You can also find Marianne on Twitter at uh, FDNYCHIC, uh, C-H-I-C, F-D-N-Y-C-H-I-C. I think it's a, a real rotten thing to do 
uh, to uh, I mean, look, if you want to change health care rules for current uh, for future workers. OK, could understand that. But you can't take people that are that took a job with one expectation and say, oh, well, sorry, you screwed up. You trusted us. Can't do that. It's not right. And uh, wishing them the best of luck. I am. 800-848-9222 if you want to comment on this, if you want to comment on Martin Luther King or anything else that we've talked about, you're welcome to do so. 800-848-9222. We are going to get to some fun stuff throughout the program as well. It's not all going to be assassinations and people losing their health care. There's going to be some fun stuff from the weekend uh, throughout the next few hours too. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. This is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. I um, I mentioned on Friday, I think when Marlena Shivo was here, that uh, I think 70% of the arguments that my wife and I have are, maybe that's a little high, maybe it's 60%, but in the 60 to 70% range, 60 to 70% of the arguments that we have is about my not doing enough chores, and and I, I have very little defense to that. I mean, I'm doing what I can here, but you know, Rachel does do the bulk of work of the work running our household. But that's that's that. If I had to say, another ten to fifteen, maybe even twenty percent of the quarrels that we have are about me not being able to find things. Hey, can you go get the paper towels? Well, okay, where are they? We've lived here for three years. How do you not know where we put the paper towels? I don't know. How about you just tell me rather than give me a lecture as to where the paper towels are? Yesterday, we were at my uh, sister-in-law's, and I spent the whole day. She was helping. My wife was helping her paint the uh, nursery for their forthcoming baby. And I spent the whole day making notes. I have this notebook, and I go through the papers, and I make notes. And sometimes I make notes just as they occur to me. Or, you know, we're watching the Giant game or the Bills game, and I'll just make notes. And I'll make notes. And sometimes most of these notes become nothing. Sometimes they become topic ideas. Sometimes they become something clever to say about a topic. Sometimes they become guest ideas. Sometimes they become music ideas, right? Just, I have a notebook filled with just with notes. 
It's almost like a a disposable journal. Picture it that way. A disposable journal that's just for um, uh, radio purposes. Okay. So yesterday, I we pack up all our stuff. And those of you that have ever traveled with a one-year-old know what it's like. We pack up all our stuff to leave my sister-in-law's. We come home, two-hour drive from Long Island back to where we live. We, I, I, those of you who have had a one-year-old know there's all these bags. There's the diaper bag. There's this bag. There's that bag. So I bring everything into the house. I can't find the notebook. Where's the notebook? Nope. Where's the notebook? I call my sister-in-law and my co-brother-in-law. Ask them, have you seen my notebook? Did we leave it there? No, 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 no. I'm looking at her all over the car. Can't find it. Can't find it. All right. So my wife goes back into the car. Takes her 40 seconds. She finds it in 40 seconds. How did you not see this? Well, I didn't see it. I don't know. So that's another big issue that we have. You may remember that on New Year's Eve Eve, about 17 days ago, 18 days ago, I lost my keys. And my keys are not just my car keys, which is a $100, $150 key fob to replace, but my house keys, my the keys to my mom's house, the keys to my mom, Uncle Steve's house. Looked everywhere, could not find it, kept hoping that it would turn up either somewhere in our possession or somewhere at the house that we rented. No, 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 no. And I drove everybody crazy looking for these keys. Well, yesterday, big day, as I was leaving for work, we now have one pair of keys. One pair of keys, my wife's pair. And she usually keeps them in her pocketbook. So I go into her pocketbook as right before I leave for work. This is a matter of hours ago. To go right where she keeps them and get her keys to drive to work. And again, I had an appointment today to try and get a new key fob for this, this car. And I'm digging in her pocketbook and I don't see her keys. But you know what I did find? My keys. My keys, which have been missing, or so I thought, since December 31st, I found them in my wife's pocketbook. (laughs) She asked me as I was leaving. We were both just overjoyed that we found these keys again because it saves us a lot of time, a lot of expense, a lot of money, a lot of aggravation. And she said, why would you put them in my pocketbook? I said, why do you think I put them in your pocketbook? Isn't it logical to assume that you put them in your pocketbook? No. Why would I have put them there? I, and I think the question can be asked, honey, is why did you not look there? But bottom line is, big day in the Morano household. It's not only a holiday for people celebrating MLK Day. It is a holiday for everybody celebrating finding lost keys. Now, I did have, and it got separated from the keychain, I did have a key finder on this thing that I'm going to be restoring today as soon as I get back. But I'm not letting these keys out of my sight. And uh, very, very exciting that they were in my wife's pocketbook the whole time for the last 17 days. One can speculate. Maybe she should have looked in there. Hmm? I don't think I put them in there. We'll never know. Next hour. A lot to get to. Meantime, keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano.
All right. Well, this is going to be um, an issue that um, we are going to be covering all week this week. Uh, I didn't get to it on Friday. Uh, we have a lot of guests uh, on this week to uh, to analyze this. This is uh, very, very big if you if you follow this kind of thing as as I do. So um, the the UAP report from the government if is is out, and we have experts on all week that are going to help us break this down. But I had to at least mention it, um, so uh, bear with me. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it today, but I have to at least mention it because it is so interesting. So the U.S. intelligence community said Thursday that the number of UFO reports involving U.S. military personnel is increasing. That's the top line takeaway. Uh, By the way, let me give you a spoiler alert. There's nothing in this report. There's nothing that the uh, Office of the Director of National Intelligence put out that says any of these UAPs are extraterrestrials. Nothing. So for those of you that are uh, that were thinking that this report would say, all right, well, the aliens visited us uh, every summer since 1947. That's not in this report. Okay, there are a lot more questions than answers. But the the number of UFO reports or UAP reports involving military personnel is increasing. And they're saying this is what's in the report, that it's enabling a greater awareness of the airspace an increased opportunity to resolve what's actually being reported. So roughly half of the new incidents reported in the report had terrestrial explanations. Now, what does that mean? That means at least half don't have terrestrial explanations. The increase in reporting is being partially attributed to the continuing effort, which I think is a good thing, by the way, to destigmatize the reporting of such incidents and focus on the potential safety risks that they could pose to U.S. personnel. Um, okay. I mean, I think that's that's good. So this report was released Thursday by the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, and it said that since its first June of 2021 report, um, it is now aware of 500 10 such UAP reports from members of the military. That's pretty significant. And that is significantly more than the 144 incidents reviewed in the initial report, only one of which could be explained. This new report said the Pentagon's new office looking at UAP reports has looked at 366 new reported incidents and initially determined that about half of them have unremarkable characteristics. I'll go along with that. Oh, I I believe that. 26 are being attributed to drones. 163 have been characterized as balloon or balloon-like entities. And six are attributed to clutter. The report says that these initial assessments do not mean positively resolved or unidentified but will aid investigators in trying to determine how to explain the remaining 171 uncharacterized and unattributed UAP reports. So understand that. There's 171 UAP incidents that cannot be explained. Period. Uh, Some of these UAP incidents, 
appear to, this is the words of the report here. I'm just reading from the report. I'm not adding in any of my own commentary. Quote, appear to have demonstrated unusual flight characteristics or performance capabilities and require further analysis, close quote. The report indicates the increased number of UAP reports is partially due to this effort to destigmatize the topic of UAP, which is great. And this report was expected to be released last October 31st, the deadline set in the congressional legislation mandating annual updates to that first report that we told you about in June of 2021. Like many deadlines established by the government, they disregarded it. It also said that the increased cooperation between the Pentagon, the U.S. intelligence community, and other federal agencies was providing additional data that could be used to resolve a number of the incidents. This is a, a, a some audio from Brigadier General Patrick Ryder, who uh, spoke about this on Thursday when the report was released. Uh, I think one of the key points in this report, you know, given given the potential uh, hazard that UAPs do present, notably there's been no reported collisions of of uh, military aircraft or U.S. aircraft, rather, uh, and UAPs. There you have it. Uh, I'd be curious what your take is on this. And understand, we're going to have real experts on uh, for, I think, hopefully three days this week. So I'm not going to get too in-depth on it. But if you want an opportunity to be heard, which we don't always necessarily do when we have the guests on, now's your opportunity to be heard. If you have a a thought as to what the real-world implications of this report are, if you have questions, if you have uh, other things that you want to add, now's the time. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. There's one, two, three, four. Four open lines on this. Now, as far as I'm concerned, these 171 incidents are remarkable. Absolutely remarkable. The question that we need to be asking is not, and I'm going to get into this with smarter people the rest of the week, is not are there UFOs or are there UAPs? Clearly there are. There's at least 171 of them. The question is not are there. The question is what are there? What are they? So it does not appear that these are a foreign government. If they are, from a foreign government, the Chinese, the Russians, and they have aircraft that can move like this, like nothing an American aircraft can do, then that's frightening, okay, that 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 China or Russia is that far ahead of us. If they're not a foreign government, are they our own government? Now, the Office of the Director of National Intelligence says no. Is it possible they're lying? Maybe. Is it possible that they don't know? Is it possible that the Pentagon has some uh, deals with military contractors to create new sort of aircraft that we don't know about? Maybe. Maybe. Is it something otherworldly? Maybe. Maybe. Uh, 800-848-9222. I don't pretend to have all the answers. I don't pretend to have any of the answers, quite frankly. I only have questions. And if you want to weigh in, you can. 800-848-9222. You can also comment on anything else that we have covered thus far. Let me say hello to Shoshana in Nassau. Hello, Shoshana. Hi, how are you, Frank? It's very nice to speak to you. First, first first-time caller. Oh, thanks. Can you hear me? I've never called before. Okay. 
All right. I wanted to ask the question. I have the paperwork. I'm from the Board of Education. I was a recent retiree the last few years. We we have it that, like she said, the court struck it down for the second time. The appellate court, is it, has it been moved to the Court of Appeals? Because they had to, I'm sure you know the terms, ask for permission to have it moved on, uh, on appeal. I, I don't believe... Or, I don't believe that the Court of Appeals has agreed to hear the case yet. No. Yeah. Okay. Because as far as we know, it's we have our current policies. I actually, she didn't say this part, but what we're supposed to tell the doctors that we don't have to do once we do the deductible, we don't have to pay the copays at this point. So I, I don't know, but it's it's really exasperating. And the only thing I wanted to ask you was, I always thought from the very beginning that he played a very integral part, Eric Adams that he wants to give this our health care to illegals. And because of that, we would be ending up paying tax on it for the swap, for this garbage policy, which it is. And then we would have, and it's because it's considered non-earned income. A lot of people disagree with me, but they didn't understand it. And yes, from the same people from the Board of Education, teachers as well as I was a school aide. But there, but there's so many, actually it's over 400,000 Um because it includes the spouses and... Oh, and right. Okay, well, that's an important thing to mention. Children. Yeah, thank yeah. you, Shoshana. I, um, uh, look, I, this was, keep in mind, this was something that uh, Bill de Blasio got started with, right? So um, he, this was his thing. So I, I, I well, Adams is continuing to the, to do this and to make this change. Really, it was, it was uh, negotiated initially, at least, by de Blasio. So I don't know that he did this with the sort of the sinister method of, oh, let's take uh, health care away from New Yorkers to give it uh, to give it to illegal aliens. I, I, I don't see that. I wouldn't put it past him. It's just I don't think that that was that big of an issue at the time. Additionally, if you look at how Mayor Adams is handling the uh, issue of he's in El Paso, Texas right now. But if you look at how he's handling these issues, the issue of the migrants. Basically, when it comes to feeding them, when it comes to um, giving them a place to stay, when it comes to uh, education costs, what's his whole approach to this? It's it's essentially to beg the federal government for money. Remember, and uh, for those of you that listen in New York, you might have heard my local commentary about this on Friday. The mayor did not even account for any money for these migrants in his proposed city budget. Not a dollar. Um, and the state controller, Tom DiNapoli, called him out on this. He says, wait a minute, it's going to cost a billion dollars. How do you not have any allocation for this? And the mayor's response was, well, we're going to get that money from the federal government. So if that's the mayor's whole plan, which is just to, which I don't think is a good plan, by the way, uh, to beg for money from the federal government, then why wouldn't he just tack the bill for health care for illegal immigrants onto that as well? So I don't think um, I, I, I don't think that you're wrong necessarily, Shoshana. I could see him wanting to push for health care for illegal immigrants, but I don't see him doing this to retirees just for that purpose. The two are not necessarily mutually exclusive, but I don't think it's a, a, an if A, then B kind of a situation. I hope that makes sense. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Charles is in Queens. Hello, Charles. Hi. Good morning. Morning. Um, I want to make a comment regarding the labor dispute, regarding the um, health care for the retirees. But first, I want to make a comment about the mystery of the missing keys. 
but I, I want to make sure I have my facts right. Uh, the keys, you said some keys were missing for a long time. 17 several days. Months, 17 said, days. Right? 17 days. 70 days. 17 now, you days. went into your wife's pocketbook to find her one set of keys, yet you found two sets of keys, correct? No. Um, excellent question. Uh, so she had taken the keys out and put it on, unbeknownst to me, she had taken her keys out and put them put them on the sort of the pedestal, or there's like a, a ledge that uh, because she knew that I was going to be using them at when she went to bed, she took them out and put them on the the ledge right near where I was sitting. And so I guess but she, nevertheless, nevertheless, two sets of keys were in her pocketbook. Right for, for the, the last seventeen time, days. Correct? Yes, correct. Okay, so how did she not? realize all these months excellent question excellent question charles that's an excellent question and it's one that i don't have an answer to and uh i think rachel has asked her why didn't you uh, uh, why didn't you look in your pocketbook she doesn't have a reason to look in the pocketbook she didn't think neither did you that it might somehow be in her pocket that's right my question is very relevant how did she not know what's in her pocketbook all these months when she went to one set of keys how do you miss the other set of keys? I, uh, Charles, I can't, I can't disagree with you. I think Rachel owes us both an explanation. Uh, she only owes it to you. It's okay. I, I can live <laughs> without knowing the answer. But I'm just, I, I don't want to start any argument here, but, or continue uh, an but argument. But I agree with you. But right? I'm just saying logically. It, yeah, exactly. Hey, I, I think you're, you're exactly right. I think you're exactly right. Okay, can I make my comment now about the, the uh, labor but dispute? Be my guest, Charles. Be my guest. Okay. Um, I'm trying to understand what legs the government has to stand on. It, it, what kind of an answer is that? I don't have the money. I mean, but that was the deal. It reminds me a little bit like the um, in the Bible. We have Jacob is supposed to marry Rachel after he works a certain amount of years for Lavan. I don't know how you say it in English. Lavan, I guess, whatever. And then when he gets tricked into marrying the, the older daughter first, so he, he complained. He said, we had a deal. So his future father-in-law says, well, in our, it's in the Bible. In our uh, culture, in our way, the way we do things, we don't let the younger daughter get married first. What's, what, how's that an answer? We, we had a deal. The same thing here with the government. Why is that an answer? We haven't got the money. Besides, they're giving away the money. To illegally, to illegal ailment. Oh, well, sorry, yeah, Charles. I think that's exactly uh, that's exactly the that that's exactly the um, the the whole point of the lawsuits that have been filed. The, the, it's exactly but, the basis. But what is their argument? What is the government's argument? I don't see it. Well, the government is arguing, and that's why this is a national issue. In two thousand, they uh, they essentially uh, passed a law that allows them. Uh, to to change this. Uh, and that's why this is happening in New York now. But it could happen in Maine. It could happen in Chicago. It could happen anywhere because of what the uh, the federal government has done to tweak this. And uh, it's really not right. And look, the, the city's argument, I guess, is, look, the city's unions, the teachers union, the police union, the firefighters, they have all agreed to this. If you have an issue with this, take it up with your union. But uh, again, I'm uh, thank you, Charles. I I'm just as confounded by it as anybody else is. I think it's a real injustice. I think it's not only illegal, 
based on the lawsuits that have been filed and based on the what you're citing, but it's unethical. It's immoral. It's just unjust. It's not right. You can't do this to people. As you heard from Mary Ann, she made certain career decisions based on the fact that she knew she was going to have a good health care plan. If she was looking to go into this field or that field, there's all sorts of things that you take into account. And I'm betting there's a lot of people that chose to be city workers and they could have made more money elsewhere because of the nice health care plan that was in place for their retirees. And to take it away from them, it's just, it's not right. And I don't care if you're the greatest fiscal conservative in the world. This is a a deal that the city has made with their retirees. And they ought to live up to it, as far as I'm concerned. All right, you want to weigh in? You can. 800-848-9222 on anything we're talking about. No more guests, so it's just you and me for the rest of the program. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Delta Dawn, what's that flower you have on? Could it be a faded rose from days gone by? And did I hear you say, he was a meeting you here today to take you to his mansion in the sky. She's 41 and her daddy still calls her baby. All the folks round Brownsville say she's crazy. Cause she walks downtown with her suitcase in her hand. Looking for a mysterious dark haired man. In her younger days, they called her Delta Dawn. Prettiest woman you ever laid eyes on. Then a man of love and breeze by her side. Promised her he'd take her for his bride. Delta Dawn. Uh, This song has been recorded by many artists over the years. I think everybody from Bette Midler to Stone Cold Steve Austin. And uh, I don't think there's anybody that does it as well as uh, as Helen Reddy. She is uh, one of a kind. It's funny. I I mentioned we were driving out to Long Island yesterday. And it's a long, long trip. And uh, Carmine and I, we slept a good portion of the trip. And my wife was driving. Obviously, if I'm sleeping, you'd hope I'm not driving. It's been a while since I did the sleeping while driving thing. That's the cause of most of the accidents that I've been in over the years. But um, we uh, were driving out there, and my wife has control of the radio because she's driving. I'm deferring to her. And I hear that song, Delta Dawn, by Helen Reddy, and there's just something about it. It's the it's the melody, it's the lyrics, it's uh, Helen Reddy's voice that it just kind of makes you stand up and take notice, right? It kind of wakes you up uh, even while you're while you're asleep. So I know a lot of people who are listening to me right now live. I know some people listen on the podcast, but if you're listening live, 
you may, um, you know, you, you may be kind of drowsy as you're driving home. And hopefully that does uh, something to at least give you a little bit of an energy boost to at least make it to home. By the way, uh, last thing I'll say on the UAP report. Wall Street Journal had an interesting column yesterday uh, on their or this weekend in the weekend edition of the Wall Street Journal. They have a whole editorial page. Three interesting uh, opinion pieces. One, the Peggy Noonan piece on what a dope Prince Harry is. It, it, first of all, she was great in this book. I didn't read the book, so I couldn't write it with the authority that she wrote it. But I thought it, it, she was right on the money. And if her column about what's in the book is accurate, it makes me even angrier that this guy is becoming a multimillionaire by essentially airing his family's dirty laundry out in public. I just it makes me so annoyed with it. I've never cared so much about Prince Harry until now. Um, additionally, the there was a column, and I, I discarded today's journal, so I don't have it in front of me, but there was a column beneath that in the paper version of a guy that was lambasting the U.S. government for, and he is not a UFO, UFO or UAP guy. He's a skeptic. He doesn't believe that there's any possibility that there's anything extraterrestrial about any of these UAP sightings. But what he said is that the government, by constantly missing their own deadlines and constantly shrouding all this stuff in secrecy, is only feeding into the conspiracy theories of people like me. You know what? They're right. There, he, he, that guy is absolutely right. Those of us that think the government is hiding something, when the government goes out of its way to hide something, you know what we think? The government's hiding something. So if the if the government is being forthright, which I don't think they are, about what they know about the UAP issue, then they ought to um, put all their cards on the table and stop keeping this stuff, I don't know, under wraps. 800-848-9222. That's uh, 800-848-9222. Speaking of aliens, do you remember the Heaven's Gate cult? Very sad uh, situation. But those guys that all uh, committed suicide because they thought... uh, the hale bop comet was uh, uh, leading to, it was going to be, uh, you know, there was going to be aliens here. It was a very sad situation where a lot of the folks, unfortunately, back in 1997, it was uh, over 25 years ago, a lot of these folks were, I think, mentally ill. 21 women and 18 men of varying ages killed themselves. And they were lying in matching dark clothes and Nike sneakers. They um, were all part of this Heaven's Gate religious cult whose leaders preached that suicide would allow them to leave their bodily containers and enter an alien spacecraft hidden behind the Hale-Bopp comet. Well, I don't believe that, obviously. You know who one of the people that killed themselves were was um, the brother of Nichelle Nichols. Did you know that? Nichelle Nichols, who died recently, played Uhura on Star Trek, and her younger brother, Thomas, was a member of this cult. 
and he participated in this mass suicide. He was a member for 20 years of this cult. And you know what? Because his sister was famous, and his sister was famous for playing a character that went to space. She was my first crush as a four-year-old. But um, they used this. The cult used the fact that Uhura's brother was in it, their group as part of their promotional materials to get new people. So uh, I mention this uh, because, one, it's interesting, I think. Two, Nichelle Nichols was one of the most prominent black actresses on television in the 1960s. And it's true. Uh, that character of Uhura was pretty limited in that 60s TV show. It still resulted in television's first interracial kiss. And that a lot of stations in the South would not carry it for that reason. But uh, And the character of Uhura later developed. You know, I'm watching the animated series now with my son. I mean, he doesn't know what's going on, but I'm watching it. And the animated Star Trek series, there's an episode, a very good episode, where Uhura actually takes command of the ship. And if you look at her role, how it developed in some of the Star Trek novels, and especially in the films, you know, the, the role developed over time. But back in the 60s, it was groundbreaking enough to have a woman and a minority on the bridge as a senior officer there. And uh, I, again, I realize a lot of what she was saying was, Captain, I'm frightened. But it was great that she was there. It was a very powerful statement. It was very progressive at the time. People forget now how progressive a show Star Trek was. But it it used space to constantly make political statements. It used space as an allegory for commenting about issues that were happening on Earth. Issues like racism. Issues like nuclear war. So I thought that was I thought that was um, great that she was a part of that. But did you know that she almost left after the second season? The show was three years, three seasons, and she almost left after the second season. The person that stopped her from leaving, because as I said, her role was very limited. She didn't get a lot of meaty parts. A lot of meaty stories. The person that stopped her from leaving was Martin Luther King Jr. Obviously, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. was one of the most famous Americans in that time. And Nichelle Nichols had occasion to meet him. This is a story that she told about uh, 20 years ago before she passed away last year. She talked about her meeting with Martin Luther King Jr., and how it influenced her decision to stay on the show. I turn, and instead of fan, there's this face the world knows with this beautiful smile on it. And I remember thinking, whoever that fan is, is going to have to wait because Dr. King, Dr. Martin Luther King, my leader, is walking toward me, not 10 feet away, uh, with a beautiful smile on his face. And then this man says, yes, Miss Nichols, I am that fan. I am 
your best fan, your greatest fan. And my family are your greatest fans. As a matter of fact, this is the only show on television that my wife, Coretta, and I will allow our little children to watch, to stay up and watch. Because it's on past their bedtime. And I said... which was all that I was able to say. My mouth just opened and closed. He said, we admire you greatly, you know. And I, he said some more things, and, and the, the manner in which you've created this role uh, has dignity and so forth. And, and he said, you know... Um, and before he said, I said, Dr. King, thank you so much. Um, and then I got the courage to say, and I really am going to miss my co-stars. And he said, what do you mean? Dead serious. What are you talking about? I said, well, I've had an off... He said, you cannot... And I said, well, I... I'm going to leave Star Trek because I'm ha- going to say have an offer to star in, in, in... I never got that far. I said, well, I'm leaving Star Trek. He's, he said, you cannot. You cannot. And it was so important, as King told her, to have a future depicted, even if it was fiction, where a black person was the equal of whites. And to see a future where blacks and whites could interact with one another, which was still a relatively rare thing in certain parts of the country in 1966 and 1967. So uh, I'm glad as a Star Trek fan that uh, that he persuaded Nichelle Nichols to stick around for one more year and to continue with that role of Uhura. But I'm also glad as an American uh, because I do think that Star Trek was a leader in terms of furthering issues of racial justice and social justice. And I'm glad that Martin Luther King had that uh, intervention with her and persuaded her to turn down that other offer and stick around for one more year. I will mention, though, I came across, who knows what to believe with these, these polls, but I came across this one poll yesterday. In the year 2023, which is the year that we're living in, for those of you that strike out on the first question of the $1,000 minute from time to time. In the year 2023, only 39% of Republicans believe that Martin Luther King's birthday should be a federal holiday. Now, why is that significant? That is a full nine points less than when the law was established back in 1983. Isn't that interesting? That back in 1983, a time, you know, 40 years ago, you'd think we'd be less progressive back then. There are fewer Republicans that think Martin Luther King Jr. Day should be a holiday today than 40 years ago. And I, I, I'm not sure as to why that's the case. I, I'm curious if you have a take, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. I guess maybe it could be because more people felt that a holiday – devoted to exploring racial harmony was more needed back then. 
Um, maybe it could be that uh, there's just so much what they call wokeness with things like Juneteenth and everything else that maybe this is a little bit of a backlash against that. Or maybe this one poll is an anomaly. Uh, but uh, this was a, a poll from The Economist slash YouGov. The question asked simply, do you think Martin Luther King's birthday should be a federal holiday? Simple as that. And overall, 55% of respondents said yes, Martin Luther King's birthday should be a federal holiday, with 24% responding no, and another 21% saying they were not sure. 800-848-9222 if you want to comment on that. All right. Rick is in New Jersey. Hello, Rick. Yes, good morning, Frank. It's morning. the original Rick. <clears throat> Just, anyway, I've been wanting to tell you this story. Excuse me, let me cough a second. <clears throat> About my personal involvement with UFOs and the government involvement. I used to live in a UFO hotspot. It was called Grant, California. G-R-A-N-T. It was a population four. When I moved in, it made population five. And um, I know it's a government hot, a UFO hotspot because not only did I witness them at least a half a dozen times, but uh, I'll tell you about the government involvement. There's two two parts of the story. The amazing part with the UFOs and the government, scary part with the government. Uh, I'm The town I moved into, I lived in a, a hotel there. And the backyard was 17,000 acres. The guy had homesteaded it in the 1800s. In fact, they made a uh, Twilight Zone episode there. Which one? And uh, You know the one called 100 Yards Over the Rim with Cliff Robertson? And he was a, a, a pioneer, and he went over the rim, and then he was into— uh, Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I know, I know exactly the episode where he, he, he's in the uh, 1870s, and then he, wa- yeah. he, he crosses the highway, and he's in the 1960s, basically. Right. That yeah. highway is where I lived. And, and oh, that was okay. The okay, I, lived. I can picture that, it. That, that, that little place he wandered down to, that was right across the street from the hotel I lived in. Okay, gotcha. All right. Okay. All right. So— um, uh, when I was living there, I, I was sitting there with my dog. It, it, believe it or not, it was a hundred a hundred dollars a month to live there. Wow! That's why, I, I, that's why I stopped there. I was really hurting for money. I was living in a tent with my dog, and I saw this place. It looked like California Hotel, and uh, I stayed there for a hundred dollars a month. So I'm sitting on the back porch, and I see my dog staring at the mountain. Now the back, the guy had a lanch of peak twelve thousand three hundred foot. He was in his his backyard. The guy owned a mountain, seventeen thousand acres. They homestead it. So I'm looking at, the, at my dog looking at the mountain, and, you know, what are you looking at? And I see these lights, and, and they're clearly not planes, and they're doing that classic UFO thing, going back and forth, zipping around. I'm going, what the heck am I looking at here? So a couple of days later, I'm talking to the county uh, sheriff, and I say, what are these things I'm looking at on the mountain? And very matter-of-factly, he goes, oh, the saucers. Yeah, don't bother chasing them. You can't catch them. I said, wait, what? You know about these things? He goes, yeah, I've been chasing them since I got on the forts. Don't bother. You can't catch them. And then he goes, oh, I, I got to go with an emergency. And I go, no, you can't leave me with this. You got to tell me more. So I'm up at the, the little uh, cafe up the street, about 120. By the way, this town is like 30 miles uh, south of Mount Whitney. And 15 miles south of that uh, uh Japanese internment camp they used to have. Hmm. So it's very, 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 you know, town of four is very. So I'm up at the little cafe, 
and these teenage kids are, you know, eating breakfast. And I said, what, what do you guys do here on a Saturday night in a two-horse town like this? And they're, again, very matter-of-factly, they said, oh, we drink beer, make out with our girls and watch the saucers land. I said, excuse me? Oh, we drink beer, make out and watch the saucers land. And then they had it going. I said, well, where do you do this? And they just walked off. So I, I looked at the uh, waitress and she goes, yeah, that's what they do. And I said, that's what their parents did. They so apparently, everybody in the area was up on, on oh, this Oh, absolutely. Thing. Yeah, they, it was a classic lover's leap thing that they used to go and watch the saucers land. And I said, well, where is this? She goes, I'm not going to tell you the same reason they didn't, because you're still an outsider. You've only been here for like a year. And we don't know if you're with the government because the government, now here comes the government story. The government had rented the ranch right next to my 17,000 acre ranch. And I was wondering why they were there. And you'd see trucks going back and forth all the time, but it never said who they were. It just said U.S. military. Never said Army, Navy, any, just U.S. military. And um, out there, they really, really do not trust the government because of the California water wars they had out there where they stole their water. So they do not trust government. That's why they wouldn't tell me where I could watch the saucers land. So um, upstairs for me, there were four rooms available, and the government rented them for some guys they needed room. They had a SUV or a RV that looked like the RV and Stripes. Remember Stripes? Oh, yeah, of course. Oh, okay. Well, they had an RV that rivaled that. It had every electronic thing you can imagine in it. And, you know, they were upstairs, so when they came back from whatever they did, I went upstairs with a bottle of whiskey because it's lonely in a town of five, Frank. And we're getting all drunk and all that stuff and having a good time. And then I asked them, so what are you guys really doing out there? And it was like like they were brainwashed, like Jason Bourne or something. Immediately, all four of their faces just went blank, like as if they just got a shot of Botox or something. And... They just were looking, looking through me. They weren't even, it wasn't really like we were talking about the UFOs. They weren't talking at all. You remember that movie uh, and Miles to Go Before I Sleep, that Charles Bronson movie where he was waking up sleeper agents? Do you remember well, I, that? I actually didn't see that one. Oh, okay. Well, you know about it, though, right? Uh, I'm familiar with it that it exists, but yes. Oh, okay. Well, it. well, it was like a Manchurian. Anyway, it was like a code word that shut them down. And I just grabbed my bottle and went downstairs because they weren't talking. And then the next morning, it was like nothing happened. Like, hey, Rick, how you doing? Blah, blah, blah. And I did it one more time, and the same reaction happened. They just shut down. So I stopped asking because I was afraid of what else have they been programmed to do, maybe remove the threat or something. I don't know. But it was very scary the way they they had been programmed not to talk. And it was like, okay, something really weird is going on. So I that's my 100 yards away the rhythm story. They absolutely – I saw them at least a half a dozen times. And – Everybody there knew about them. The government apparently knew about it because they were there checking it out as well. And just the way they shut those guys shut down, that scared me the most. Like, wow. What? What do you think? Uh, the What do you think they were? UFOs. I don't know what they were, but they right, weren't. But you, I mean, I'm I, saying, I do you think they were the extraterrestrial? I, I don't know if they're from the future. I don't know. I, right. I just know that I don't know why they're always white. If they have that technology to do what they do, why can't they make themselves stealthy? It must be something to do with the the uh, uh, physics involved or something. Because they always tell they're always you know visible. I don't understand why. 
Well, that's why there are going to be some people that say, oh, well, that that shows that it wasn't aliens, that it was some sort of secret government technology or something. Maybe they they can't get away from that. Maybe that's part of having their their abilities is they have to, you know, glow. I don't know. But all I know is that I watched them many a time. Very interesting. Very yeah, interesting, yeah, and, and and you could you could uh, if ever you want to go on a UFO, uh, you know, uh, vacation or something, go to Grant California. Grant California, good to know, Rick. Thank you, I appreciate that. A well, st- well told story, I must say as well. In addition to the story itself being interesting, it was well told. Uh, well done, Rick. Thank you. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. That's eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. We'll continue with your calls in just a moment. This is the other side of midnight. Straight ahead. Other side of midnight. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. other side of midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. 800-848-9222. I'm going to get to your calls in just a moment. So we have this um, Facebook group, which is a great way for people to remain connected with one another and to continuing uh, the conversation about subjects that we bring up on the show, to critiquing different things that uh, we do on the show. If you want to join it, uh, just go to facebook.com slash groups slash Radio Morano, or you could just search Morano Radio uh, Fans and Haters. I was just looking because this is a topic that we have talked about a uh, a fair amount. I was just looking, Alan posted in the Facebook group about tipping. Uh, noticed last week that the recommended tipping now begins at 20%. Saw it again this past weekend at another restaurant. So it reminded me, on Friday, I went out to dinner with um, my my cousin, Diana, who's uh, my second cousin, but, uh, you know, we, we have a great relationship. Went out with her and her boyfriend, and... She they they both work in the restaurant business and she was a couple of years ago and I asked her about it because it it stuck with me a couple of years ago she was a waitress at a restaurant it was a chain restaurant I think and she you know served a couple I think they had a baby 
serve this couple, and all of a sudden, they the woman um, in female handwriting, they leave a tip, they pay with a credit card, and they leave a tip of of ten dollars on about a hundred thirty dollar bill, and and she posted about this on Facebook at the time, and I thought I didn't know if it was a gag or um, you know something that she picked up from somewhere else and was sharing it because you know how social media is, which is why I, I asked her about it. So they gave her a $10 tip on this $130 bill and wrote on the bill, on the bill itself, here's a tip, don't flirt with my man, okay? So I I just found this. It's from January of, um, well, whatever. It's from a, a few years ago. And I said, did that really happen? She said, absolutely. And I said, she actually wrote that on the bill? And then it led to a whole tipping discussion. And I said, you know what? You know what would be nice is if we lived in a society where who, the customer was expected to explain why he or she was tipping whatever he was tipping. So let's say, like that lady, I don't agree with what she did, and I can assure you my cousin was not flirting with that guy. But uh, that lady gave a reason for why she was leaving a paltry tip. Now, it was a, a delusional reason, but you should say, you know, if you're tipping a lot, if you're tipping a little, if you're tipping a fair amount, you should say that, you know, I'm tipping this amount because of X. A lot of restaurants do that. They give you an opportunity to answer questions. But I think it should be the standard. You write on the bill itself. I am, you know, we went out to dinner, uh, not dinner, but lunch on Saturday. I had a a very good family weekend. I got to see my cousin Diana on Friday and uh, my uh, Aunt Camille. We went out for her birthday on for lunch on Saturday, and uh, my brother Nick and my sister-in-law came. And then my um, my sister came over to see Nick afterwards. So, And then yesterday we were at my sister-in-law's out on Long Island. So it was a good family weekend, which I enjoy. I enjoy the opportunity to catch up with, uh, with family. But we went to this great restaurant on Saturday. I don't want to mention it because, you know, it's pretty pricey and they're not giving us anything for free. But we went to this nice restaurant on Saturday – Great, great uh, food. Food is just top notch. It's mostly it's uh, great sandwiches. It's just a wonderful place, and we all got um, we ju- because it was my Aunt Camille's birthday. We got a slice of cheesecake, and just so she could enjoy it, but she's not going to finish the whole thing. So we all had a a piece of it. My brother Nick, who is a very tough critic, my brother Nick says that is the best cheesecake I've ever had. And you know what? I tried a bite of it. I agreed with him. I said, "Do you?" because he lives in Brooklyn. I said, do you think that's better than that $59 Junior's cheesecake that you got from Junior's that time? He says, absolutely. And I agreed. The food was just great. The service was horrible. I mean, I still gave a good tip because, you know, they they brought a candle to my aunt and everything. And, you know, I'm I'm a pretty generous tipper anyway. But if I was going to tip based on service, it was terrible. I mean, I had to flag people down. To beg for forks, my son got pasta. He got a little, you know, macaroni with butter. They didn't bring a fork. No, I think there was one fork on the table. You had to beg for forks, beg for drinks. 
the food was great. Service was just terrible. I would still go back there just because of the food. But that's my proposal for the world is that from now on, you explain why you're tipping what you're tipping. Honestly, I think that's a great idea. Obviously, it's mine, but I think whether it's positive, whether it's negative, folks would value the feedback. You know, when you get a report card in school, the teacher doesn't just say, oh, yeah, you're getting um, an uh, whatever, however they grade. You know, when I was in school, they would give you E's for excellent, um, G's for good, S for satisfactory, or N for needs improvement, right? That's up until sixth grade. And then you, you know, get whatever, number grades. But they would say, all right, we're giving Frank a G instead of an E because of X. We're giving him an S here. Oh, and and then U was unsatisfactory. That was basically a failure. We're giving him an S here instead of a G, well, because he didn't do his homework. I think in weight service, there should be an an expectation of explanation. What do you think? 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222, Joe is in Queens. Hello, Joe. Yeah, uh, Frank, on the subject you're talking about now, I, I just like the uh, moxie of the girl, you know, like she really wants to, you know, uh, that that's that was the funnest part of that. But oh, yeah. On Mar- yeah, on the Martin Luther King thing, uh, when you think about it, one thing that really uh, was incredible was in the like three of the southern states, there was no white person convicted of murdering a black person for like several decades, like, you know, 1910s, 20s and 30s in like Alabama, Mississippi and uh, et cetera, et cetera. You know, so if you look at uh, the speeches of Martin Luther King uh, and the context of everything that was behind that, and that crowd in D.C., the I had a dream. And then you also had a president that was a great order. At least one of those two should be uh, have a holiday, e- either one of those two, either JFK or uh, Martin Luther King. Uh, to- thanks, Joe. i, I got to end it there. I'm sorry. We're out of time. Uh, 800-848-9222. If you have other questions, other calls, other comments, You're welcome to call in 800-848-9222. We're going to do commendations in just a moment. Find me on Twitter at Frank Morano. Until next hour, in the words of the great Bob Barker, help control the pet population, get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Everyone, this is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for starting your Monday with me. Thanks for starting your Martin Luther King Jr. Day observed with me. And uh, we're going to do commendations in just a bit. But uh, let me squeeze in a few calls from people that have been very patiently holding. Uh, and we have no more guests, so uh, we have some time to uh, take some calls. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Joe is in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Hello, Joe. Yes, hi, Frank. Um, 
I wanted to talk to you about the tipping issue that you sure, mentioned. Sure, be my guest. Okay, so I, what I'm about to say is not very popular, but I think tipping should be reserved when somebody does a, uh, goes out of their way and does a great job. Uh, nowadays, everything everybody expects a tip, and people don't really tip for what the service is worth or so on. It's just uh, we've been programmed, we've been conditioned to think that we must tip everybody. There's a multi-billion dollar industry. Everybody, everything is about tips. Shouldn't tips be reserved for somebody goes out of their way? You know, I hear you, Joe. And my friend John Gambling is of that belief, right? He's actually anti-tipping. And there's a lot of countries around the world that uh, that don't engage in, in tipping for exactly that that reason. The reality of the situation is, and I hear what you're saying, and it's difficult to disagree with you. Uh, look, I, I believe that um, my job should be tip-worthy. I wish people would tip me. And, I, and people think I'm joking when I bring that up, and I'm not. I, I really would love to walk outside of the radio station and all these people that say to me, hey, great show. Hey, that was really informative. I wish they'd give me five bucks or a dollar. It would make me feel like my work was at least appreciated. But to your point... Um, the salaries of a lot of uh, workers like waitresses and others that are in tip ba- that are in jobs that society deems tip worthy, they are less because it's expected that the tips are going to make up for the shortfall in their hourly wage. So if you don't tip as a matter of habit, the bottom line is that these people are not going to get paid what they really should get paid. So uh, it's kind of a vicious cycle, right? I mean, I get what you're saying. You're not wrong. But because there's an expectation that these people are going to earn tips, they're paid less. Now, if we could get to a point where uh, these hourly workers or um, these waiters and waitresses and others that are in tip-based industries are paid a little bit more – then I'd feel better about going along with what you're with what you're saying. So, Joe, tell me on a regular basis, do you t- do you not tip on a regular basis? Okay, so I I do tip because I know it's expected, and right. what you just mentioned because their wages are not that great. But uh, first, let me say I would tip you if uh, thank you. you know, I appreciate I could, that, Joe. Thank I would tip you more than a dollar or so. I, I think that. you're thank doing you. a phenomenal job. Uh-huh. But, um, I agree with you. So far, I agree with everything you said, as Eric <laughs> okay, Adams said but, there. <laughs> but, um, you know, if you look at the history of tipping, where tipping began, it really, uh, you know, if you read up, it used to be slaves on the railroad where the companies didn't pay them. So the patrons would uh, have, you know, get their feelings running and throw in some, some money and so on. A few places where it all began. But in reality, if people were not expected to tip and these people had to go to work, the companies would have to sell out the money and pay them a normal wage. It's just that they're taking a free ride off our backs because we uh, we go there and we're expected to tip. Now the restaurant doesn't have to tip them. Right. So on. Now maybe the prices would go up. I don't know. But just to give me a price and then expect me to pay more is just ridiculous. Well, I, I hear you. And you know what? This is exactly what John Gambling would say for years in terms of why we needed to do something different. I I hear you. And look, uh, Steve Buscemi's character in uh, Reservoir Dogs said the same thing in a clip that we play, you know, far too often. I I don't mind tipping, right? I just would like to get to a point where 
our tip was explained because people so people knew why they were getting what they were getting. Thank you for the call, Joe. Tony in Florida. Hello, Tony. Hi, it's nice to speak with you tonight. You too, Tony. Thanks. I had a couple comments. One is Delta Dawn was an excellent song. I was so happy to hear it. Absolutely. Great. Me too. But it's great. On the um, Social Security, my husband worked for the Forest Service starting in 71. The which service? And the Forest Service. Uh It's under the Department of Agriculture. Sure. I'm familiar with it. Sure. And for years, he paid half his money went into his retirement and the government paid the other half. Then he paid Social Security. Right before he retired, they decided that they were going to take away his Social Security because he should, you know, they should not be receiving two government checks. Well, there, he, he was in charge of the union in our section. They went to court, and the judge found in their favor. So there went half of our retirement that we've been planning on. And we're paying $400 a month for our insurance, health insurance, on top of that. So we're down to peanuts now. I'm I'm so sorry to hear that, uh, Tony. But hearing that story, it makes me even more upset about what they're trying to do to the retirees in New York City. Yeah, I I really feel for them. I really, truly do. Because not only are they not getting what they should be getting, they're getting um, a lot less. Right. You know what I mean? Absolutely. not paying nearly as much. Tony, thank you. I'm wishing you guys the best of luck. I appreciate you sharing that story. Without further ado, it is time for me to give a pat on the back to the people or entities That deserve one, as we do each and every week at this time. It is time for The Other Side of Midnight presents Commendations. I must begin with a a fella that is a man after my own heart, Liam Quigley. I love this guy. I've never met him. Uh, I may have to have him on the radio, but this is one of those people that you read about, and I want to be friends with this person. Liam Quigley, for the last nine years, has logged... Every slice of pizza that he's eaten in New York City. He has a whole Instagram account dedicated to this. It's called NYC Slice. He has logged and reviewed 464 different slices of of pizza over an eight-year period. Not nine years. Eight-year period. The average price of a plain slice in New York increased from $2.52 a slice to $3 a slice. And that excludes the uh, dollar slices, which are in their own separate category. The most expensive slice of pizza was $6.53 for a pepperoni slice at Artichoke Basile Pizza in Times Square. And it was fine. He didn't rate the slices in order to avoid controversy and bribes. The biggest thing that he's noticed, listen to this, is the decline in the amount of sauce put on slices. Isn't that interesting? He's sure that this is a cost-saving measure, but the overall quality of your average slice in the city has definitely suffered. So, And he listed a bunch of the ones that he really enjoyed. Um, a bunch of these I've been to. One I ordered from all the time. 
um, in my hometown, but uh, Mario's Pizzeria, New Park Pizza, Sunnyside Pizza, Joe's Pizza, Bleecker Street Pizza. There's some good ones on here. Ciro's. Can't beat that. Uh, so Liam Quigley rating or commenting on 464 different slices of pizza. I love anything that um, reviews different pizzas. I love anything that uh, is dedication to a mission. And I love any, anything that informs people. It's fun. It's fun. I love this guy, Liam Quigley. This is not an easy thing to do, and I give him credit for doing it. A sincere commendation. I must also give a commendation to Molly Sampson, a nine-year-old girl from Maryland. Big shout-out to our listeners on WCBM in Maryland, especially the co-hosts of the morning show who were kind enough to have me on uh, the show on Friday morning. I got great feedback from appearing on with them, and uh, they do a great show. I listen to those guys, and uh, uh, Casey and Elliot is the... uh, Yeah, uh, Bruce Elliot and Sean Casey... They do a great job, uh, 6 to 9, every morning on WCBM. And I was very privileged to go on with them for a few minutes. Big shout-out to them. So this little girl in Maryland found a once-in-a-lifetime megalodon shark tooth. She found an ancient fossil hiding underwater. Isn't that – I think this is so neat. She finds this massive and ancient surprise, a a megalodon tooth as big as her hand. And you can see the pictures. It's really something. And they, they went to the Calvert Marine Museum to confirm the fossil's identity and share the exciting news. This is the kind of thing that I think will not only ex- uh, encourage this nine-year-old's love of maybe paleontology or archaeology, but all sorts of other nine-year-old girls out there or, or boys to go out there and explore and to search and discover. I think this is wonderful all around. I think this is a great discovery, and I love the implications for this. So, Molly, I do commend you. I must also commend Rich Miner. Rich Miner is the uh, co-founder of Android, And like so many people that have made scientific or technological innovations over the years, do you know what he credits for helping inspire his career? Well, he credits Star Trek for helping lead him to a career in technology and inspiring several of the products that he created. And as a way to pay tribute, Rich Miner is now helping to fund a sculpture Honoring the show and Leonard Nimoy, the late actor who who portrayed Mr. Spock. Miner still works at Google. He said he heard that the Boston's Museum of Science wanted to honor Nimoy with a memorial sculpture, but was having some challenges raising the needed needed money. He chipped in with a six-figure donation. And now you are going to be able to see a giant Vulcan salute sign when you go to the Boston Museum of Science. Which is great, because uh, Nimoy was from the Boston area. I think that's great. I have to commend Sri Lanka. You know, Sri Lanka has made a tremendous improvement 
the kind of witch that I think we can all learn from. Not long ago, Sri Lanka was having a tough time. You know what they were having a tough time with? Suicide. Uh, Suicide's a big problem all over the world, but it was a crisis in Sri Lanka. Let me give you an idea of how bad the suicide problem was in Sri Lanka. In the 1990s, thousands of people were dying by suicide. How many? In 1995, 57 out of every 100,000 citizens took their own life. That was a tenfold increase in two decades. And what they found was, they did a lot of research, because this got to crisis levels. They found something so interesting. It wasn't that people were less happy than they had been previously. They were still just as miserable as they'd always been. It was they had access to an effective method to kill themselves. You know what it was? Pesticide consumption. Suicide attempts using newly available chemicals were fatal in half of these cases. By comparison, about 1% of tranquilizer overdoses are deadly. Most of the time you don't do this, but most of the time you pop a bunch of these tranquilizers, you fall asleep. And researchers lobbied the government successfully to ban the most lethal pesticides, and they were successful. In the following years, suicide rates in Sri Lanka have fallen 70%. And this intervention, this one simple change, is estimated to have saved 93,000 lives. And according to the uh, Center for the Center for Pesticide Suicide Prevention, this is the greatest decrease in suicide in any place in the history of the world. Now, if that's not called for a commendation, I don't know what is. So, good for you, Sri Lanka. You got something to live for. All right. Uh, I also want to give a commendation to... Oh, this is a wonderful story. This is a story of an Uber driver who deserves a five-star rating. Okay. Bill Samuel, Samuel, Bill Samuel needed a kidney, and he also needed a ride. So, 2021, Christiana Hospital arranged for an appointment at a dialysis center. A lot of our listeners are going through this. And they sent an Uber driver to pick Bill up. And that's when Tim Letts arrived. The two of them, the driver Tim, the passenger Bill, instantly stuck, um, struck up a conversation. On the car ride, Bill tells Tim all about his d- dilemma. About halfway home... After talking the whole way, they started to, and slowly becoming friends, the driver, Tim, tells him that God must have put him in his car. Tim Letts then offers his kidney to the Uber passenger. He says, if you take my name and number, I'll give a kidney to you. This guy, Bill, was shaking so hard he couldn't even write down his name and number. The match was successful. The operation at Christiana Hospital was a success. 
and the two have now become lifelong friends all over this miracle car ride. And um, because of Bill's age, he was told he needed a kidney immediately. And Tim Letts, who normally works in Cape May County in New Jersey, many miles to the south of where Bill lived, he just happened to be right nearby at the time of the request. I mean, that's a genuine, honest-to-God miracle. So I'm giving a commendation to this uh, Tim Letts for giving his kidney to a guy that he picked up. And I really do hope Bill gave him five stars and a tip. And a tip. I want to commend uh, two sisters who have made a huge difference for women who are uh, women of color going through cancer treatment. Diane Austin and her sister. um, So Diane Austin was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2015, and she was told that the chemotherapy would cause her to lose her hair. Her doctor gave her a wig prescription. So she goes to the hospital where she was being treated in Boston, and they didn't sell any tightly coiled wigs, only straight-haired wigs. So Diane and her sister searched the entire country, but they couldn't find a wig that resembled their beautifully tightly coiled kinky curls. They started asking around and talking to vendors at the hospital. They all said that a lot of women were asking for these wigs. So they take matters into their own hands and launched coils to locks. And from there, they found a manufacturer. And then the wigs had to pass a wig fitter test. Now, women of color searching for curly wig styles at cancer center hospitals and medical hair loss salons have an alternative. And I think this is great. So kudos to Diane Austin and uh, her sister Pamela Shattuck. They have now made it so that if you're a black woman or just someone with tightly coiled hair, you don't have to get a wig that looks nothing like your natural hair if you, unfortunately, are dealing with cancer. Don't you have enough on your mind if you're dealing with cancer to not have to be self-conscious about what your wig looks like? So I'm giving them a commendation. And I want to give a commendation to a student of Winston Lee at Letcher County Central High School in Kentucky. So this, he has a student, an 11th grader, and this is one of those things, kind of like my cousin Diana's tipping situation. This became viral because um, Winston Lee, the history teacher, shared this on Facebook. One of my guys, this is from his Facebook post. One of my guys, a straight A plus student, offers up his five bonus points, you know, because you do well in the test, you get bonus points. One of my guys, a straight A plus guy, offers up his five bonus points to someone in need, anyone, totally offering up what is rightfully his, his earning, to any peer that may have been struggling hard the rest of the day. I think that is great. He says this is the first time in his 12 years of teaching that he has ever received such a request from a pupil. So I don't think uh, they didn't reveal this 
young man's name. But I think that's great. This note said that they wrote on the test, if you could give, if you could, can you give my bonus points to whoever scores the lowest? And so Lee offered to give five points to students who participated in an exam review game the day before the tests. So the student who gave away his points had received a grade of 94. The five points that he gave away would have increased his score by ni- to 99. But instead they were given to a classmate, lifting her to a passing grade. That's a good kid. That's a good kid. A student asks his teacher to give his bonus test points to the classmate with the lowest score. That's nice. I want to give a commendation to Iceland. Oh, yes, Iceland. Iceland is, according to the Global Peace Index, once again, the most peaceful country in the world. Iceland has not budged from its top spot on the Global Peace Index in more than a decade and with a low crime rate, high standard of living, and positive relationships with neighboring countries. It is easy to understand why. Good for you, Iceland. And uh, penultimately, I want to give a commendation to Kate Winslet. I'm a big fan of Kate Winslet. I'm a big fan of her as an actress. I think she's very attractive. um, Everything I've read about her, it seems like she's a wonderful person. I really like her, so that's why I'm very happy to um, give this uh, commendation to Kate Winslet. So she's being interviewed by a young reporter named Martha. So now a clip of this interview has gone viral. The journalist, Martha, was very nervous. So Kate Winslet sees that this journalist is nervous, and she um, says she puts the interviewer totally at ease, and um, she... Here's what happened. So Martha is a child reporter for ZDF Logo, a segment of German news outlet ZDF. It's meant for children and teens. So I don't know how old Martha is. But she starts out her sit-down with Winslet by saying, it's my first time. This is what Kate Winslet says in response. Okay, well, guess what? When we do this interview, it's going to be the most amazing interview ever. And do you know why? Because we've decided that it's going to be. So we've decided right now, me and you, this is going to be a really fantastic interview. And she goes on to tell Martha that Martha could ask, quote, anything that you want. You don't have to be scared. And she's looking at this young girl with this comforting twinkle in her eye. Everything's going to be amazing. You got this. And I thought that was such a great thing. And you could see the video online. But when a world star can inspire courage the way that Kate Winslet did for this young woman, I think it's a great thing. Uh, Kate Winslet reassuring this young girl that her interview will be amazing is just one of the greatest things ever. And you know what? I don't even think that my recantation of this does this justice. So I'm going to share the video on my uh, Facebook page at facebook.com slash moranofan. That's facebook.com slash moranofan. I'm going to put it up there in a minute so you can see it and uh, you see exactly what I mean. I think this is just a wonderful, wonderful thing. 
um, because I'm sure this young woman was nervous, and it's really not uh, not something that I think a lot of stars would have done in her position. All right. And finally, I want to commend Arbani Gabriel, or Rabani Gabriel, a fashion designer, model, and sewing instructor from Texas, who competition officials in the Miss Universe pageant said is the first Filipino-American to win Miss USA. She She was crowned on Saturday night as Miss Universe. That's right. So it's a great win for the United States to have one of our models crowned as Miss Universe. And it's also a great thing for the Filipino community. Great news. So uh, congratulations to you, Arbani Gabriel, or as people are going to have to refer to you now as Miss Universe. So that's that. All right. Uh, If there's anybody you want to comment on that I have commended, you're welcome to do so. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Marano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Marano. This is Spike Jones, My Pretty Girl. Uh, this is a favorite, believe it or not, of my Aunt Camille. So I had this on uh, on my list to play for her birthday uh, last week. It was great to see her on uh, on Saturday. And we went to lunch, and uh, she's just, you know, doing great. So uh, she actually sings this song still. She used to sing it to her daughter and then to her granddaughter. Now she actually sings it to her great-granddaughter. So it's uh, been consistent over the years, an Aunt Camille favorite. All right. So we go to lunch on Saturday. Um, my brother Nick comes, my Camille comes, my wife, my son, uh, my sister-in-law, Kat. Then uh, they, they were kind enough, my brother Nick and his wife, Kat, to finish putting together this drawer. They got Carmine a drawer for his birthday, and it was missing a piece. So it took us forever to get it, but we finally got the piece that was missing. And so Nick says, I'll, you know, I'll come over next time we're on, you know, the place where you live, and you'll, uh, we'll put together this dresser for you. Fine, great, okay. So they come over after the lunch. They put together the dresser. Goes well, and Carmine is just thrilled to finally have a completed dresser. Great. So then... There get my sister Claudia, who had come over as well. She wanted to watch Babylon, which is uh, I don't know much about, but it's apparently something like a serious remake of Singing in the Rain. It's been nominated for all sorts of awards, and this is the kind of season. Right about now is when I start watching all my movies, so that I can between now and March see as much as I possibly can 
before the Oscars. So I haven't seen anything, really. So I said, that's great. We all agreed we would watch Babylon. We turn it on the television set, not yet available, even for $20. We can pre-order it, but we can't watch it yet. All right. So then everyone's primed to watch a motion picture. And so I suggest, and as I'm suggesting this, my wife is already rolling her eyes, okay? I suggest, look, there's two, four, there's five adults here. Why don't we all nominate two motion pictures to watch right now? One that we've all one that you've seen and one that you've not seen. And then rather than use ranked choice voting, which could be a little time consuming and getting multiple rounds and stuff, why don't we use approval voting? If you're not familiar with approval voting, we've done segments on that. Some people actually prefer that to ranked choice voting. I don't necessarily prefer it for elections, but I do prefer it for selecting activities or motion pictures, but I'm open to it for elections. But um, the way approval voting works is very simple. So I read you a list. In this case, it was a list of movies and the nomination process took forever. And this is, you could see my wife's frustration growing. She said, by the time we end up picking a film, we're going to be out of time. Everyone's going to have to go. So, we, you basically go through this list, and I ask everybody in the room, do you approve or disapprove? And so there were a lot of good nominees on there. Ultimately, and I was pleased this one, the film that got the most approvals was Top Gun Maverick. Top Gun Maverick is the sequel about 30 years later to the original Top Gun with with Tom Cruise. And I wanted to see this in theaters. But no, actually, it's more than 30 years later. It's 36 years later. I wanted to see this in theaters because I heard this is the kind of film that because of the sound and the visual effects that you're much better off seeing in theaters. But I haven't been to the movies in over a year, so I didn't get to see it in theaters. And I've heard from my friend Arthur that saw it in theaters that if you see it in theaters, there's a special message from Tom Cruise at the beginning of the film thanking you for actually seeing it in a, in a theater. And that's what I want. I want to be thanked for seeing a film. So anyway, we end up watching this film, Top Gun Maverick. It was, in my opinion, and actually the opinion of everybody that watched it, and these are five people that don't agree on anything, Five diverse points of view here. It was absolutely phenomenal. It was terrific. I'd say three or four out of the five of us, I'm not willing to put myself in this category, but at least three of the people out of the five that watched it thought that it was better than the original. You know how rare that is for a sequel to be thought of by anybody as better than the original? I thought they did a very good job continuing the story. I thought it was beautifully made. I really liked the, the, the plot in this. I didn't think it was a stretch at all. It was part of it a little campy. Yeah, sure. I like the love story aspect of it. I love the uh, throwbacks to the original. But there was enough new material that you didn't need to see the original. I like that uh, there was no uh, – there's not, not a lot of wokeness in it or anything like that. Not a lot of America bashing or, um, you know, saying America sucks. It was just an enjoyable 
90 minutes. It was great. I really, really got such a kick out of it. And uh, and so did everybody else. So if you haven't seen it yet, there's talk. It's already been nominated for a bunch of awards. Last night, we were watching the uh, Critics' Choice Awards, and it got a couple of nominations there. I don't know if it won anything. But it is really great. There's a chance it, I'm sure it's going to get nominated for a bunch of Oscars next week when the Academy Award nominations uh, comes out. And by the way, the people in our house watching it were not the only ones that thought it was better than the original. Pete Hammond of Deadline Hollywood called the sequel better than the original. So um, I thought it was immensely enjoyable, not difficult to follow. It is terrific. It is just a, a absolute terrific film in my in my judgment. Um, if you if you haven't seen it yet, I do recommend it. I can't recommend it strongly enough. Look, if you don't like um, action movies, I think you're still going to like it. I, honestly, I think this is an impossible film to dislike. Uh, here's a little bit of the trailer to uh, Top Gun Maverick. What do we have here? Yeah, here I thought we were special. Fellas, this here's Bagman. Hangman. Oh, whatever. What the hell kind of mission is this? Everyone here is the best there is. Who the hell are they going to get to teach us? Captain Pete Maverick Mitchell. Let me be perfectly blunt. You are not my first choice. You are here at the request of Admiral Kazansky, a.k.a. Iceman. He seems to think that you have something left to offer the Navy. What that is, I can't imagine. With all due respect, sir, I'm not a teacher. Just want to manage expectations. What the hell? Good morning, aviators. This is your captain speaking. And we're off. Here we go. In three. We're going into combat on a level no living pilot's ever seen. Not even him. You think up there you're dead. Believe me. My dad believed in you. I'm not going to make the same mistake. So you have a lot of the same people that were in the original. I don't want to give too much away because I think some are meant to be a surprise. Tom Cruise doesn't look like he's aged much, if at all, in 36 years. The, uh, the All of us, but especially the women that were watching, they were in awe that Tom Cruise looks the same now that he did in 1986. Is it a little corny? Yes, of course it is. But so was the original. So if you um, liked the original, I think it's impossible to dislike this. I just got an SMS text message from my mom here, uh, you know, you know, hearing me discuss this. She saw this. She said she thought it was better than the original. So there you have it. The um, one critic said, uh, you know, and this is one of the negative reviews. Alfonso Duraldi of The Rap called the film another cornball male weepy and military recruitment ad that feels like every World War II movie got fed into an algorithm. Okay. And wrote that the movie counts as a worthy sequel in that it succeeds and fails in many of the same ways as the original. Exactly. Exactly. 
The original was great. It was fun. And this is fun, too. Uh, all right. 800-848-9222. Hey, speaking of films, so I am a sucker for award shows. I love these award shows. I don't know what it is. You know, I hear some people talk about how they have a guilty pleasure of watching reality shows. My colleague, Sid Rosenberg, apparently he can't get enough of these Desperate Housewives shows and all these other shows. I never got into that. My guilty pleasure is award shows. I love these award shows so much. I want to produce one of these award shows and host one. But um, I like these award shows even for stuff that I'm not interested in. Country music. I never listen to country music. Love the country music awards. But if it is something that I am interested in, like motion pictures or something, then I'm even more into it, even though I really haven't seen a lot of the films uh, this year. So yesterday, my wife had to put up with a lot of football, right? We were at my sister-in-law's. We watched the uh, the Bills and the Dolphins game. That was some game. Then we watched the first half of the Giants and the Vikings game. Congratulations, by the way, to the New York football Giants. And then my wife was, uh, she knew I was into the game, but we had to drive home. She was really cool about have it, letting me put the game on the radio on the drive back from Long Island. So, and then I, I was watching the Ravens-Bengals game, which I wasn't that into. I'm rooting strongly for Baltimore because um, we're on WCBM in Maryland, so I, I have been rooting for them. And I was glad they were in the playoffs. But it's like, okay, I don't care that much, honestly. So... My wife's sitting there, and I'm working on the show. So I said, all right, instead of... And then Weird Al Yankovic tweets something. I didn't even know the Critics' Choice Awards were on. And Weird Al Yankovic tweets that his film, the film that we told you about with Weird Al, won the Critics' Choice Award for some category, Best TV Movie or something. I said, ooh, there's an award show on. So I'm thinking, all right, let me put on the Critics' Choice Awards Chances are my wife will be more into that than football because she's already had to sit through two games so far already. And look, maybe something interesting will happen that I'll get to talk about. Most of the show was pretty predictable. Um, nothing. I didn't watch the whole thing, but I, I watched a good portion of it, kept it on in the background. And there was one movement that I found, uh, one moment that I found very moving. I don't know if you've been following this uh, whole story of The Whale. Well, there's a film out. It's called The Whale. It's starring Brendan Fraser. I haven't seen it. But everybody is saying that uh, Brendan Fraser, this is going to be his big comeback. You remember what a big star Brendan Fraser was? He was doing The Mummy. He was doing George of the Jungle. He was doing, I think, Encino Man. He was doing Airheads. Did all uh, The Rookie with Albert Brooks. The guy was a genuine, bankable box office star. And then, you know, so he had some issues and um, he had some bad luck and he had some circumstances. And his career went in another direction, right? Um, they're saying this is his comeback vehicle. And he gained, I don't know if it was actual or if it was a fat suit or whatever, but he plays a very obese person in this picture, the whale. But... Um, whenever you really get made up like this, whether it's a fat suit or whether you gain the weight, you always instantly get award show consideration. Always. It's just the way that it is. So he gets nominated for The Whale for best actor in a, you know, something. I don't know. And I was rooting for him, even though I haven't seen the picture, 
because I um, am re- I love a comeback story. Who doesn't love a comeback story? When Marlon Brando made his big comeback in 1972 with The Godfather and Last Tango in Paris in the same year, who wasn't rooting for him? When Mickey Rourke made his comeback with The Wrestler, who wasn't rooting for him? There's just something so fun about a comeback story in any field. Uh, and we've gone through this. We've done whole hours on comeback story. But, um, you know, move as an actor, as a musician, as a model, as a politician, as a religious leader, as a radio commentator, as a comedian. It, there's just something about human nature, I think, that causes us to root for comebacks. You, Donald Trump, you remember his second book, what it was called? The Art of the Comeback. Because he wrote The Art of the Deal, monstrous success, and then he lost a whole bunch of money, got divorced, and was uh, at a nadir in his professional life and in his personal life. And he came back from all that and wrote a book all about it, The Art of the Comeback. And you know what? People loved it. Even if they didn't care about Donald Trump, they loved the comeback story. So um, I found myself rooting for Brendan Fraser to win this award. Lo and behold, and this is the Critics' Choice Awards, so sometimes it's a precursor to the Oscars. Sometimes it's not. We'll see. So lo and behold, he wins for The Whale. And this is his um, acceptance speech when he gets this award. Now, understand the visually what's going on here. When they read him as the winner, he was crying. When they say his name, he's crying. And he's walking up to the stage crying. And my wife, who was kind of on her phone and distracted and not really paying attention, she looks up and sees this. And she says, look, he's he's crying. I'm so happy that he won now. And then um, we're both watching this very emotional acceptance speech. And she says after the speech... Now I want to see this picture. I didn't care about this picture before seeing this acceptance speech. And I got to tell you, I think I agreed with her. I I wanted to see it anyway. But I was similarly moved by this Brendan Fraser acceptance. If you, like a guy like Charlie, who I played in this movie, in any way struggle with obesity or you just feel like you're in a dark sea, I want you to know that if you too can have the strength to just get to your feet and go to the light, good things will happen. And that was a small portion of it. He went on for a while, uh, but the whole speech is really worth seeing. So uh, I was very happy for Brendan Fraser and uh, a number of the other winners. I was happy that um, Better Call Saul won. Now that they're off the air, I was happy they won. And uh, most of the films I haven't seen, so I I didn't know uh, much about the people that were in them or whatever else. But those were two of the categories that I was very happy to see. All right, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. We'll take your calls straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. We clawed, we chained our hearts in vain. We jumped, never asking why. We kissed, I fell under your spell of love. No one could deny. 
Wrecking Ball. Uh, she's got a new album out, which they are saying at least one of the songs, maybe the whole album, but at least one of the songs has to do with her ex-husband or boyfriend. So, I don't know. Uh, you be the judge. All right. 800-848-9222. We'll take your calls in a moment. In addition to this show, which, by the way, if you ever miss any portion of this show, we would like you to subscribe to the podcast so that you can listen to the show in its entirety. And uh, we love the people listen live, but a lot of people can't be up for all four hours when we're live. Or a lot of people live in places like Alaska or Tennessee where they only carry three hours of this show. So if that's you and you want to hear all four hours of this show at your convenience, the best thing you can do is subscribe to the Other Side of Midnight podcast. Go on iTunes, Spotify, wherever, Google And um, you can listen to the other side of a minute. Just go on iTunes and hit the subscribe button. But we're also, in addition to uh, this radio show, I do a totally separate podcast, mostly featuring long-form interviews having to do with organized crime, specifically La Cosa Nostra. So an inter- and we're doing some of the greatest interviews that anybody has ever done on this subject. Really informative stuff. It's not a glamorization of the mob or anything like that. It's really not. It is informative and it's interesting, right? They're really interesting content here. How this is not already the most successful podcast in the entire country, I don't understand. So let me tell you what happened last week. Last week, I get a call from uh, John Gotti's daughter, Angel. She's the eldest child of, of John Gotti. You know, John Gotti, the dapper Don, and so forth. And she said, you know, five years ago, you interviewed my mom, Victoria Gotti Sr. This is not the reality show star. This is the widow of John Gotti. The, uh, you know, they call her the mob matriarch. Very, the, the, this is the mother of John Gotti Jr., the mother of Victoria Gotti, the younger, the reality show star, right? So there's Victoria. It gets a little confusing because everyone in the Gotti family is named either John, Peter, Frank, or Victoria. So it becomes difficult to track. All right, who's John Gotti Jr.? Who's John Gotti? Uh, what's John Gotti Sr.'s father's name? Oh, his name was also John. Okay, that's confusing too. Victoria the Elder, Victoria the Younger. Okay. But anyway, so Angel calls me. And she says, you did this interview with my mom. We're looking for it. We can't We can't find it anywhere. Lo and behold, I did an interview with Victoria Gotti Sr., John Gotti's wife and subsequently widow, when the Gotti movie came out with John Travolta because she's played in the film 
by Kelly Preston, who was John Travolta's real-life wife. Isn't that interesting that John Travolta and Kelly Preston played a real husband and wife? So I interviewed her, and she very rarely does interviews. First of all, she's really always very rarely done interviews, but especially she suffered a number of strokes. So she's had a tough time with her speech over the years. So now she used to rarely do interviews. Now she never does interviews. But she did one with me because I know her. And so I found when I went to go send Angel this interview that I'd done with her mother, I found that they had taken it down. My old radio station, they took down this interview, which I was really ticked off about because it was a good interview and the kind of thing that you can't hear anywhere else. So I said, you know what? I'm going to dust this off. And make this a special edition of the Racket Report podcast. So um, we talked about her relationship with probably the guy that's the most famous gangster in the last 35, 40 years, John Gotti, and how they ended up getting together. Obviously, you were pretty street smart even before you and and John got together. Um, When did you know that you... Frank, as I said, you know, when I met him, you know, the standard line in those years was, you know, if you ask the man, what what did you do, a knock-around guy, what what do you do? He would say, oh, a little of this, a little of that. So you had to assume what a little of this and a little of that meant. But I didn't really know. People think that, oh, she she knew. Listen, my husband would come home at night. When he walked in the door, his food was on the table, his bath was ready, and his pajamas were laid out for him. I was his geisha. (laughs) He was my man, and I took care of him. And I didn't look at it as subservience. I looked at it as respect. And uh, if my wife's listening, I hope she is taking notes on everything Mrs. Gotti said there. But I got an email from uh, someone named Sharon yesterday, a listener. She writes, after hearing this interview, wow, great interview with Mrs. Gotti. We all know who John was and what he did, but how interesting to hear her personal memories of of their life. She truly went through so much and is still standing. I loved hearing of how they met and about a few antics in the home. As usual, great interview. Love these racket reports. If you want to hear it, I linked to it, facebook.com slash Morano fan. The whole link is up there. Or uh, just go to redapplepodcastnetwork.com. Until then, your influence counts, so use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. 
Do you know who Jedediah Hall is? Jedediah Hall is my pick, even though the year is only 16 days old. Jedediah Hall is my pick for the husband of the year. He may even get a husband of the decade award. So I haven't wanted to talk about this story because it's a little salacious. And quite honestly, I find it a little unseemly to discuss this kind of thing uh, on the radio. But I think you have to at least give the basics of this story before we can discuss what Jedediah Hall is doing here. Have you followed this Tennessee Police Department story? So there is a uh, a suburb of Nashville, Tennessee. And a big shout out to our listeners on uh, WUCT. We probably have a lot of listeners in this particular uh, suburb. It's called Lavernier. Lavernier, I believe, is the correct pronunciation. This police department in Lavernier is in total turmoil. So far, five police officers have been fired from this little police department as a result of a sex scandal and related issues. So I'm not going to, I don't want to be too graphic here, but you had at least five of the male officers at this particular police department have sex with a female officer in the same department, both on the job and off the job. So far, five police officers have been fired and three more have been suspended without pay as officials in this little suburb of Nashville are investigating the allegations against the 60-person police department. Understand, five people fired, three more suspended, there's only 60 people in the whole force. This whole police department was having sex with itself. So the, um, <laughs> I don't mean to laugh, but it is unusual. The mayor of this community, Jason Cole, said this situation is unacceptable. And as soon as it was brought to our attention, it was immediately investigated and action was taken upon the individuals involved. So the accounts of the of Lavernier police officers were in an internal report about the department in the department's investigation, and it was obtained by a, a local NBC affiliate in in Nashville. So the officers spoke about sharing cell phone photos of their private parts, having sex in the police station on duty. And taking part in these Girls Gone Wild type parties. So I'm going to spare you a lot of the details because this is very graphic stuff. And, you know, a lot of people are just starting their day. And maybe you don't want to hear this the first thing as you wake up. But Megan Hall, the female police officer at the center of this scandal, she's been fired uh, along with some others. And Megan Hall was apparently having sex with everybody. And not just having sex with everybody, but um, doing all sorts of other things and uh, sending nude photos of herself to all of her co-workers, all these other cops. She went to a, a Girls Gone Wild themed hot tub party populated all by cops, took her top off there, did other things with, um, you know, the 
police officers there. So she has had some sort of sexual contact with six of her coworkers, six cops. She's had something to do with sexually. She's married to this guy, Jedediah Hall. And the new, the daily mail reported on Friday that her husband, Jedediah is standing by his wife, his boss, the Coffee County Sheriff, Chad Parton, told the uh, Daily Mail, I don't know how he's doing it. He's more of a man than I am, but he's trying to salvage his marriage. Now, I got to give this guy credit. Now, I I know this fellow was a punching bag uh, in terms of this fellow was a punchline on social media, uh, different places I went, people were making fun of this guy. He's a patsy. He's this. He's that. I give this guy a lot of credit, honestly, because he, I think, you know, I, I can only imagine how difficult it is for a relationship, any kind of a relationship, but especially a marriage, to survive any sort of infidelity. But then you're talking infidelity with Six people? And then you deal with the fact that everybody knows about it? And everybody's going to be judging you wherever you go, wherever your wife goes, wherever the two of you go together, and you are still making the decision um, to stay with your wife, even though everybody in the whole world knows you've been cuckolded? I got to tell you, who knows what goes on in anybody's marriage and what the nature of their marriage is. And look, I I think clearly that the fact that she went this crazy indicates that maybe she she's had she's got some issues that she's working out. But uh, this fella, I think, has a lot of courage and a lot of gumption. And I hope they are able to work this out here because um, I think this is uh, really admirable. And and again, people may think I'm all wet by praising this fella. I give this fella a, a lot of um, a lot of credit here, a lot of credit. And they um, there have been people that are familiar with this situation that have expressed concern about the the woman Megan Hall's mental health. And uh, people that are familiar with them say that she'd been prone to heavy drinking. Uh, One fellow quoted in, I think it was the New York Post, said she once pointed an empty gun at her head and pulled the trigger so she could hear what it sounded like. So I I, clearly, probably the husband knows that she's got some issues related to mental illness, which I have to tell you, makes me admire the husband even more. The fact that he is married to a woman who is... Mentally ill, I think, or dealing with some mental issues, I think is probably the better word, who is cheating on him, who is publicly known as a philanderer and and a disgraced cop, and he's staying with her. I got to tell you, I admire that. I really do. I really do. 
800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. I'm not sure... um, I'm not sure what their story is in terms... They're both relatively young. I think they're in their late 20s, early 30s. I'm not sure if they have uh, children, but um, it's really an impressive thing, I think. And, you know, look, you get married, you're supposed to be married for uh, better or for worse, for sicker or poorer. I give this guy a lot of credit. Because if he was to say, sorry, you're out, or I'm out, and divorce her, who could blame him? But he is saying, no, I'm going to make this work. I give this guy a lot of credit, and I'll I'll tell you, I admire this guy. So I hope this does work out for them. 800-848-9222 if you want to comment. Maybe I'm just being naive, certainly possible. 800-848-9222. This is uh, The Other Side of Midnight. Andy is on Staten Island. Hello, Andy. Hey, Frank, what's going on? Father of Carmine. He's doing great. Everybody's doing great, Andy. Thank you. I love to hear about it. He called that one night. I hate Carmine. Hey, check it out. I'm single. My girlfriend broke up with me. I think I know who I want to date. What? Who, this cop? Megan Hall? Yeah, our new friends. There you go. I mean, she can't be too hard to keep happy. Just throw some friends at it. I don't know. I, I I have a feeling it might be a more difficult enterprise than you probably think. I know. Oh no! Like you said, like the infidelity thing. I couldn't get over one infidelity. Forget about six. There's got to be sixty hidden. Well, and and Andy, and on. to me, Andy, what makes it even more um, difficult is the fact that everybody knows about it and they're going through it publicly. Scary. It makes me think I have to go out with somebody I really know. You know, I could go out with some secret, like, oh, my God. That would break my heart. Man. But you know where my heart is with you and Carmine. Thank you. Check it out. I have a little Hendrix song that's dedicated to you and Carmine. I think it's great. Uh, you're the best, Frank. I appreciate you letting me play. Oh, sure. Hey, I appreciate the effort. Believe me, my friend. Thank you. We got to get that CD of the second story. It's really a good song, though. Yeah, I, I do think the the Thanksgiving song, I do think it needs some work, but I think it's got it's the basis of, uh, of something that could be very big. So uh, thank well, you, Andy. I didn't know you checked it out. That yeah, no, no, well, I, I, I talked about it. I think uh, I forget what my feedback was at the time, but uh, but yeah, I think oh, it I needed some it. tweaks. Give me, just give me a little idea what you said. Yeah, you I'll, I'll have to go back and listen again. But um, 
the uh, I don't remember what what my thoughts were on, but I did but listen. I left it a little undone because we had to put you on it. Right. Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Thank you. I, I wrote a thing about JFK getting shot. Only four, four perfect lines. Remember that day in Dallas when they shot JFK? I'll never forget that day he had to pass away. But you know how everybody says, oh, where were you on that day? For the days you remember exactly where you were. Like, it's true, Andy. Thank you. I'm not sure if uh, if you know we're doing a Thanksgiving song. If we want that many references to an assassination in it, but you know we'll see. We'll 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 workshop it privately uh, off the air. All right, eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. If you want to comment on anything we're talking about, eight open lines. So if you've ever dreamt of uh, being heard, now's your opportunity. If you want to email me, we're going to go through your email tomorrow on the radio. I have, I have some very funny email this week. You can email me at frank.morano at uh, com. That's frank.morano at uh, wabcradio.com. And um, I'm still hoping we can get all the mail that has been sent to the P.O. box. I know early on uh, they were um, reluctant to have me give our actual mailing address. They only wanted me to give the P.O. box. But I have to tell you, it takes uh, whoever so long to go to the P.O. box and get the mail. I think starting tomorrow, I'm just giving our actual address, and you can send me mail at our actual address, but we'll see. We'll give them one more day to get the P.O. Box mail here. Uh, my thanks again to Bruce Elliott and Sean Casey from the Morning Drive show on uh, WCBM in Baltimore. They were kind enough to invite me on on Friday. Uh, we had a, uh, a great a great chat. And uh, I, my thanks again to Steve Gutenberg. I got a nice note from uh, Steve Gutenberg's folks that he really enjoyed our appearance, uh, his appearance on this program. I didn't see the Lifetime film that he was in yet because um, I was tied up with a bunch of family stuff this weekend. But I am going to watch it through that on-demand option that he referenced called How to Murder Your Husband. It got a very nice review in the New York Post. I was reading, uh, I think it was Michael Starr's column, or it might have been someone else, but it was in the in the Post saying that this could be a big comeback role for him. Uh, I haven't seen it, but that's the picture that he's in with uh, Sybil Shepard, who I'm also a, uh, a big fan of. So I'm looking forward to uh, checking that out. All right. We're going to do the uh, $1,000 Minute in about 10 minutes. That's where you get to try your hand at um, answering 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds. And if you can do that, you'll win $1,000. Let me say hello to Trevor in Yonkers. Hello, Trevor. Hey, how are you? I'm well, thank you. I'm actually just sitting here listening to uh, you at night. and You know... I have I have family in Tennessee. Is it La Follette, Tennessee, down there? Is that what the and name of I, it is? I believe it's Lavernia, Tennessee. Oh. It's a suburb okay. of Nashville. Okay. Well, either way, I just had a quick question. Like, why is it such a big deal if she's a grown adult and they're all adults? Who cares if they all have sex with each other? Well, like, part of it was because it was on the job. And you right. can't do that kind of thing at police stations and uh, and things and things of that nature, right? Also, uh, I think once you're, um, I th- that's the main thing. The main reason is that a lot of this conduct took place while they were on duty, 
Some of the police officers also apparently lied in the course of the investigation about this. So I think it's the, the, those are the two main things is the lying, the uh, and, you know, when you send um, sexually explicit uh, photos to co-workers, uh, they consider it in Tennessee a, a form of sexual harassment. Now, that I think can be a little bit of a stretch, but. You know, I get what they're coming, where they're coming from on all this other stuff. Yeah, no, and I do too. And it's like there is a, I do understand there is like a fine line where, you know, you should get reprimanded for the things that you do. But that seems like a lot of people on the job that like I get like the party thing is what I'm more or less talking about. Like if they all go to a party and, you know, whatever happens, happens. And, you know, and I do agree with you. I think it was, uh, bold for her husband to stand by her and it's just a strange story to me and it sounds like a lot of people that were all involved they must have like told on each other or something happened where everyone got caught together but it seems like everyone agreed with it and was fine with it at the time but well, one uh, yeah. person had to... you know, look, uh, and uh, I am uh, and thank you for the call, Trevor. I am not a judgmental guy. Right. And look, I, I, I you know, I'm drunk 60 percent of the time that I'm not on the air. So I'm the last person that's going to judge anybody else for some drunken hijinks. But when you're dealing with uh, people that are armed, when you're dealing with people that are public servants uh, it, this becomes a big deal, right? And you can't ha- – and by the way, she's not the only one here who's married. Now, I'm not going to sit in judgment of anybody, but um, I, I think this is being handled appropriately by the local investigatory authorities. I'm not going to question how they're handling it. But I, it just makes me really give a lot of credit to the husband here. It really does. And I don't know that I could do this. This guy is being made fun of all over the country today, all over the world, quite frankly, because these are international papers covering this, too. And he says, I don't care. I'm going to make my marriage work. And I give him a lot of credit for that. A lot of credit. 800-848-9222. Ed is in Forest Hills. Hello, Ed. Yes, Frank. Uh, that story you just told about that uh, woman, police, police woman. Uh Sounds very similar to the story of, if you remember, uh, from uh, Somerset Mom, The Razor's Edge. You know, I never read that, actually. I'm I'm a fan of Somerset Mom, but I never read that. Well, the the movie was very popular with Tyrone Power and uh, Gene Tierney. Yeah, I I haven't seen it. it I haven't uh, seen it. What's his name? Uh, uh, The guy from Saturday Night Live? Yeah, again, I I didn't see the picture, Ed. You didn't see the movie? Oh, it's been on TV hundreds of times. You got to watch it. It's one of the best stories ever written by uh, Mom, anyway. Yeah, it's. And, uh, uh, he, he's like a saint in the movie. This guy, uh, Tyrone Power. Oh, that's interesting. So and, the name of the film is, and the and the story is on the razor's edge. Yeah. Okay, I'll, just, I'll I'll put it on my list, Ed. Yeah, it's just called the razor's edge. And, oh, the uh, razor's edge. He okay. marries a woman who sounds similar to this cop you're talking about. And he did it out of friendship and the love of, because he knew her as a child, and uh, he went through the same thing your, your husband of this woman's going through. Really? Okay. Well, yeah, I, 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 movie. I think I think you'll you'll enjoy it. It's a very good movie. I'm going to put it on my list. Thank you, Ed. Appreciate it. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two 
two two. Let me say hello to Ed on one Ed and then another Ed on Staten Island. Hello, Ed. Oh, hi, Frank. Hi. As a fellow Staten Islander, I thought I'd give you uh, my uh, tips on your first ski trip. I think I emailed you. Yeah, I don't have one planned, uh, Ed, but maybe one day. All right. Well, uh, I could tell you a story that I uh, witnessed. If you're interested, do you ever see the movie Too Big to Fail or read the book? Yeah, I, 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 I uh, both actually. I've read the book and seen the film. I enjoyed both. Yeah, you know uh, when um, Lehman went under, and then two days later they uh, saved AIG. Right. You know what the real reason why Lehman failed? Why? Ten years early, a long-term capital blew up because they were buying Russian bonds, and all the hedge funds said, Rubin will never let Russia default. And then Russia defaulted, and Greenspan called an emergency reading, emergency meeting at the bankers at uh, Liberty Street, the Federal Reserve Bank, and he said to the bankers, you're all going to kick in $250 million, and we're going to bail out right, long-term that's depicted, capital. That's depicted in the film, that part. Right, but the real the real story is <clears throat> Dick Fold only wanted to kick in a hundred million, and he said we're not a bank, we're a brokerage firm, we can't afford two hundred fifty million, and they never forgot it. So when uh, Lehman was in trouble, they let it fail, and they saved AIG two days later because it would have put a $6 billion hole in Goldman Sachs balance sheet, and Hank Paulson owns $700 million of Goldman Sachs stock. So, so that's and, and real... just, so, just so you know, I'm following, is this related to anything we're talking about? Well, no, I wanted to talk about skiing, but you said you didn't have a ski trip planned, so I All thought right. I'd tell you a story. All right. Okay. I mean, is are we you almost... Like, you, you like stories, right? I you do, like I do. I'm just wondering, uh, I'm just, uh, wondering if there was a, 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 like a hook that I should be bracing myself for. But now, now I can just enjoy the story for what it's worth then. Yeah, that's it. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Too big to fail. The real story, as told from Ed. There you go. That's good. All right. Hey, uh, just speaking of, of this Tennessee situation, this is some audio from uh, Tennesseans... Talking about this scandal on WRAL, it's one of the local stations, uh, television stations down there in Nashville. This is what they're saying down there. Doing something while you're at work, I mean, for everybody else who goes to work, you know, we're held to that same standard. It's just bad. It's like a stain, I guess. It would be a wake-up call for Laverne, but also a wake-up call for our police department to uh, take care of themselves. Just a couple of bad apples does not make the whole bunch bad. And that's very true, right? I mean, you have uh, 60 cops, and only five of them have been accused of wrongdoing? Okay. Hey, Pete has been waiting for a while. Hello, Pete. Hey, Frank. Yeah, I want to thank you for putting on a story for the city workers' benefits. We're dealing with that right now. I'm in a position where all i got to do is fill out an affidavit, and my insurance will cover my wife and I. But my wife worked with a lot of single uh, parents and uh, everything with children that are retired and they're, you know, supporting their families at home. And this uh, payment of like $200 or more to keep the benefits they have is horrible for another reason. I'm scheduled for a surgery on my eyes in February 15th. Now, my doctor says that by February 15th, if this thing don't go through, I'm not covered by her. I oh. have to find another doctor. That's and awesome. I already had all the pre-stuff of the lights flashing in my eyes, you know, I'm facing that thing, checking the eye pressure, the whole thing. 
I have one eye that's shaped like a football and one regular. So the one that's uh, shaped like a football is the one I can't see out of, and I cannot put a contact lens in because the shape of the eye will keep falling out. So this surgery is going to be a little difficult, and I, you know, I'm between a rock and a hard place. I mean, if I have to pay for it, I could come up with it. I have the means. But I'm calling on behalf of the single people who work with my wife to keep in touch with her because they call her. They ask if they heard anything. Now, you had that lady on. My wife wrote the name down, the name of the thing, because we call up the union. They don't want to know nothing. They listen to the news. What The only person that had the guts to do is you putting that lady on and talking about it. I don't hear it on any other talk show or any other TV show. Well, thank so you, Pete. Thank you uh, first of all, good, good luck with uh, your your situation, not only the, the procedures, but uh, but paying for it, which I know can be just as stressful, if not more so. And I appreciate you recognizing the work that we're doing, Pete. Thank you. So much. All right. Uh, what we're going to do is give you an opportunity to win some money. If you are the seventh caller right now to 800-848-9222, that's 800-848-9222. Those of you that are on hold, namely Mike and Larry, if you want to continue to hold, we'll get to you. But if you want to be the seventh caller to 800-848-9222, you can uh, try your hand at answering 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds. If you can do that, you'll win $1,000 as we do the $1,000 Minute straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Thunder Road. This is one of his most popular songs. It's a good song. I'll be honest. Look, Bruce has done a great, a lot of great songs. I have never gotten kind of the cult of Bruce. I mean, you listen to people talk about Bruce Springsteen. They talk about him as if he's the second coming. I, I just, great musician, and he's a great performer. It's just, uh, I don't know. I just don't get the... The incredible appeal that uh, people plan to go for concerts. And, and again, I'm in the minority because 
clearly people have been following him with an incredible amount of enthusiasm for 50 years. Uh, but uh, it's just, uh, it's not for me. No, I mean, it's good. I, look, obviously, he wrote the song Atlantic City, which is great. And a lot of great songs. But um, it is what it is. I don't, I don't have the whole incredible enthusiasm for Bruce music that a lot of other people do. All right. Without further ado, it is time for... The Other Side of Midnight presents... It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Morano. Thank you, Chris Libertini. Thank you very much. Um, Let us say hello to Brad in the Boogie Down Bronx. Hello, Brad. Hi, Frank. How are you? I'm great, Brad. Brad, have you heard this segment before? Yeah, I tried it once before. He told me in late September. Oh, okay. So um, how did you do last time? Uh, I was the one who got a question. He asked me, uh, what do you call a baby cow? And I said a heifer instead of a calf. Oh, okay. All right. Well, so, uh, you know, so no, hopefully. No, no baby animal questions. How's that? <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at the list now. I don't see any baby animal questions. I think you're going to be just fine. All right. You ready to go? I'm ready to go. All right. You know the rules. All right. Um, what holiday is being observed today? Martin Luther King Day. How many days are in a non-leap year? 365. What Tom Cruise film about a Navy fighter pilot had a sequel last year? Top Gun. What New Jersey football team beat the Vikings in the playoffs yesterday? The Giants. In what year did the Cuban Missile Crisis occur? 1962. Who is the current Prime Minister of Canada? Oh, no. What is that guy? Oh, I have something like... Oh, it's totally slipped my mind. Got a T in there. Does that help you at all? Uh, oh, my goodness. There's the one I know I'm knowing. Yeah. I, I'm drawing a blank. Uh, all right. I'm sorry, Brad. You, you're doing well. It's Justin Trudeau. <laughs> Justin Trudeau is uh, our neighbor to the north, the prime minister of Canada. Oh, my goodness. No, of course. Yeah. That's... All right. Well, I, I, I guess. one of those ones you hear a million times, and then when you need it for the money, you, you draw a blank. Uh, hey, Brad, I have been there, man. I know exactly what you're talking about. I, I have been there. I was uh, on. Uh, I played Beat Bernie, and uh, I got a question wrong that I definitely should have gotten right. And. Uh, was on uh, the cash cab, and I got a question wrong that I should have gotten right. So I'm going to put you on hold. We're going to give you uh, a consolation prize. All right, Brad? I'm sorry you didn't win. All right. Thank you, Frank. All right. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Try again whenever you're eligible. 800-848-9222 if you want to comment. Hey, uh, Matt, do we know for sure when people are eligible again after they play? Um, According to the rules... You cannot win more than three prizes in 30 days. Right. So if he so could, within 30 days, you could play three times. Oh, okay. And that's that's what the, that's the rule. The rule. Okay. Well, that's not bad, actually. So that's and if good. they want to rewrite the rule, I mean, it's really good, actually. I thought. I was like, because we thought it was once every six months. And then I looked at the actual rules. It is says you cannot, it says you cannot win more than three prizes in a 30-day period. Okay. 
All right. Well, there, there you have it. All right. I want to wish a uh, a happy birthday. We were discussing on Friday a lot of very good female talk show hosts over the years and a lot of very successful female talk show hosts. One name that I omitted, and I'm embarrassed because she's a good friend and she's somebody that I'm a big fan of. One name that I omitted in terms of successful female talk show hosts and ones that I'm a fan of was uh, Dr. Judy Kuriansky. So I did not mean to omit her the uh, on Friday when we were talking about this. But I uh, do want to wish a happy birthday to another female talk show host, uh, Dr. Laura Schlesinger, turning 76 years old today. Happy birthday as well to John Carpenter, who is 75 years old. And uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda of Hamilton fame and... Uh, in the Heights and a bunch of other things. I um, I like that film that he that he did recently, that Disney picture that I told you about. That was very good. Where they do that song we don't talk about, uh, Bruno. That was uh, all Lin Manuel Miranda, a really gifted entertainer, singer, and uh, all the like. And if you watch Curb Your Enthusiasm, the season that he's in, where uh, they do the musical for Fatwa, and he's playing. Um, Salman Rushdie, and this is prior to Salman Rushdie's most recent incident. Recent incident, he's great. He's absolutely great. So happy birthday to everybody that's celebrating today. And you know whose birthday it is today? Um, Richard Johnson, for the famous gossip columnist, formerly of the New York Post. Uh, these days with the New York Daily News, he has got a great column on Sundays. So happy birthday to uh, happy birthday to Richard Johnson. So. Happy birthday to everybody that's celebrating today. You know, it's funny. Once you get to be an adult, it is tricky to know what to get people as a gift. Now, I, I my friend Jason, a longtime friend since we're in sixth grade, he had a birthday last week, and I didn't get him anything, but I'm gonna I'm gonna get him something. I, I really didn't. It's tough to know what to get him because you know he makes a good living, and if he wants something, he's gonna buy it on his own. So it's very tough to find something. That's A, thoughtful, B, that he would like, C, that's not super expensive, and D, that he has not bought on its own. So it's always tricky to find an appropriate gift for any occasion for people. You know what I do is I maintain for myself an Amazon wish list. So whenever I'm in a secret Santa or something, some occasion where somebody wants to – and I maintain everybody should do this. Everyone should have an Amazon wish list, or if it's not Amazon, somewhere else. Basically, a registry for life. You know how um, if you're you're getting married or you're having a baby, you have a a, a registry of stuff that you want one day? So what I always do, if if somebody has a child or uh, whatever other occasion, and there's still stuff left over from whatever registry they had – I'll go find that registry and I will buy stuff from that registry. But I think every human being of every age should have a registry. So I have this registry of stuff that I want one day. You know, there's some Ric Flair socks on there, some books, some other things. And for Christmas, my sister-in-law Sharon drew me as the person that she had to get a Secret Santa gift for – and she did just that. She went on my Amazon registry and she, you know, got a bunch of the stuff that was on there for me, which was really nice and totally, um, you know, unnecessary. She was very generous. But 
the point is, it becomes very difficult to know what to get an adult, not a child. So I'll tell you what I was thinking. And I was talking with a couple of my siblings recently about this. You know, uh, my dad is, um, you know, he's an older guy now. He's retired. And he's one of these fellas. If he wants something, he would just buy it. So we were talking not long ago about what would be a fun group gift that we could get my dad when it's his birthday in March. And I'll tell you what we came up with. And I like this idea a lot. And I'm curious if anyone has done anything like this. You know, my dad's a very um, intelligent guy, right? Very energetic guy. He's he's well-versed in many different areas. Smart guy when it comes to policy, a bunch of other things. In fact, um, when six months ago, when my sister Claudia and her friend Rachel were over, we were playing kind of uh, an exercise, and we've done it on the air. And I said to my sister Claudia, I said, if you could make anyone in the world president, who would it be? And Claudia says, you know what? I think I'd actually pick dad. I think he'd do a good job. And I said, you know, it's so funny. I was thinking the same thing. Now, her friend Rachel says, you know, I was thinking your father too. All three of us independently thought that we'd pick the same thing. Rachel, I think her pick, my wife Rachel, was um, – because there were two Rachels in the room, my sister's friend Rachel and my wife Rachel. Their pick was uh, Chip Gaines. That was her pick. You know, that couple that does the construction, Chip and Joanna Gaines? That would be her pick to be president. So, okay. So I was talking to my siblings, and I thought it would be a fun, creative, and different idea – if we all chipped in, and I don't know how much it is. I think it's a few hundred bucks each. But for his birthday, we all chipped in, and we got him on the ballot for the New Hampshire presidential primary. He's a Republican, but, you know, I mean, it's really just kind of a novelty gift. It could just as easily be the Democratic primary. He's not really going to be a candidate for president, but I think he would actually really like that. If, if he got to be a presidential candidate... And say that he was a presidential candidate. And, you know, who knows how much he's going to campaign. I could see him going up to New Hampshire for a weekend if he gets invited to a candidate night or something. And I think he might like that. So I'm curious if anyone out there has uh, done anything like that. If you're looking for gifts, uh, there's a lot of um, great products at the WABC radio store. If you want to get someone, people have been sharing the other side of Midnight merchandise in the Facebook group. A lot of folks are getting the mugs, a lot of folks getting the caps, a lot of folks getting the shirts. And if you go to WABCRadioStore.com and you use the promo code FRANK15, you could save 15% off on anything you buy there, whether it's stuff from me or not. But I am curious what people think of that as a gift idea. I think it's actually pretty clever and pretty unique. I'm wondering if anybody has done that for somebody in their own life and uh, how that's worked out. So. Uh, 800-848-9222. All right. Um, let me say hello to Roy in New Jersey, who's been holding a while. Hello, Roy. Hello, Frank. How are you? I'm well. Thanks, Roy. I'm in a very bad mood. Sorry. The reason why, I do not like bullying. And I do not like when Avery and Curtis 
was saying things about you Friday night, which is uncalled for. Total big no-no. <laughs> and how he talks about Sid also, saying that Sid is gay? No. <laughs> and it's okay for Sid, uh, for Curtis, because now he's slipped, and oh, I man. confronted him the other night about, oh, when I was getting on, on the bus to leave Atlantic City. What? Then he said it again. Another time he was leaving Atlantic City. So he said, oh, he was leaving a conference. Yeah? How do we know that? How do we know he wasn't uh, playing at least five hours, I said to him. We don't know that. So where is it you to say, Curtis, it's okay for you to go to Atlantic City, but you turn around and say something about Frank? Well, uh-uh. uh, right. First of all, it, it's all it's all in fun, right? Uh, Curtis is... I don't like it. It's not fun. I, I, it's I, not I, with a co-worker. It, get, it gets violent after a while. Right. One day you're going to come in in a bad mood and you're going to punch him in the face. And that's what's going to happen. Right. Thank I've you. seen it. Thank you, Roy. I, I promise you I will not be punching Curtis in the face. One, because uh, Curtis and I are uh, super tight. And uh, if Curtis is making fun of me, just like if I were to make fun of Curtis... It's done with love, right? You know, um, I had lunch recently with some coworkers, and I'm not going to use anyone's name, but someone said, you know, it's not nice when Curtis said that, said X, Y, Z about you. Lose. And I said, it's not really, you know, it's not something I take personally. And they said, no, you remember during the campaign when Fernando, um, the person that was running against Curtis in the Republican primary, Fernando Mateo, made these comments about Curtis and his son that went too far. And he had to respond, and you should respond when Curtis says something about you. And I said, okay, you know, I will going forward. But um, it's so different because in the case of Curtis and Fernando Mateo, they were genuinely adversaries. And uh, Fernando Mateo was really trying to attack Curtis. If you listen to Curtis, he's really helping promote the show and he's always saying even when he's making fun of me first of all i find it very funny a lot of the time i i, I listen to this show that he does when he focuses on me and i think wow what a jerk i must be and meanwhile i know what he's saying is not true <laughs> but it's so funny and he's so good at telling a story that uh, i don't mind it in the least one because it's entertaining two because um uh, Curtis and I are good friends, and he could he's helped me a lot over the years, so he could say whatever he wants about me. And three, because um, as he's making fun of me, he's helping to promote the show. So I don't mind do you like anything Curtis uh, does in the, in the least. That each Parmesan cheese. You know, as I've explained, if you really want to know who Curtis doesn't like in radio, you just listen to who he's not talking about. Because to Curtis... That's the um, the best the, the worst slight that you can give someone is not paying any attention to them. So uh, so that's that. All right, eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. If you want to comment, eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Mike in Las Vegas has been patiently holding. Hello, Mike. Tomorrow, Frank. Viva Las Vegas. I uh, love it, love Where's it. I'm on? envious. Where where are you in Vegas? Where are you staying? Caesars. Oh, great! Good for you. Good luck. First time, first time I was there in 23 years. Really? Wow! I'll be I'll be, uh, I'll be flying out today for uh, Myrtle Beach, um, and the blackjack was going good when I called you Friday. I mean, everything the splits were working, the double downs, and everything else. And I tell friends, as long as you're, it's like a roulette table. You know, it's it's the red or the black. You don't you don't want to be in the red zone. So I, I've been in the black zone for for a while, and I got to tell you. I mentioned to Ken, uh, you're talking about the Gottis. The Gottis, 
went to St. Dominic's in Oyster Bay. And Victoria, I met years ago, okay? Um, and Michael Franzese, uh, one of his uh, uh, first cousins, I knew very well. He was a mechanic for the big uh, uh, equipment that you see on uh, on the railroad, track equipment and this and that. So uh, I've, I've run across quite a few people, even some Westies. But um, I got to give a shout-out, too, like I, I mentioned to Ken, that guy uh, who played the guitar for Carmine. I'll tell you what, that, that was pretty cool. And, uh, and let Curtis say what he wants. It's all in good fun. You know, I've been listening to him for years. But you know what? Uh, it doesn't surprise me again, Frank, that you've got a national show in such a short period of time. And you could easily, uh, you could easily throw your hat in the political ring, you know, down the road. That's for sure, you know. Um, I, I'll leave you with this. Uh, I was almost – I spilled my coffee in Lake George. You're talking about conversations, and I enjoy conversations. Conversational intercourse. When he came out with that, I spilled my coffee. <laughs> uh, a girl, a girl I've seen down here, uh, we, we started off, I called it conversational foreplay. So, you know, we clicked. And I said to her, listen, we get together. Don't twist me into a pretzel. Okay? You know, just, just don't twist me into a pretzel. I got problems with the lumbar or the cervical. So, you know, just take it easy. All Th- right. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate that. So, um... Uh, I got a fella, an email from somebody listening, one of our listeners in Tennessee, and we're happy to have a lot of listeners in Tennessee. John says that, uh, I guess I mispronounced the name of that community, the name of that Nashville uh, suburb. It's pronounced Laverne. I guess I said Laverne. So there you go. You live and you learn. My apologies to the community of Laverne. I'm glad you're enjoying the program. All right. Um, We're going to take a uh, let me squeeze in Andrea here. Andrea oh, is from good. New Jersey. Hello, Andrea. Good morning, Frank. Good morning. I think you're wonderful. Thank you. you know, one thing people need to realize is everyone at your station has strengths, and there are weaknesses too, but I want to comment on this. One of your last callers was correct. That Monday after um, New Year's Day, Curtis was complaining about everyone at the station who was off for that day. And he was asking, he was serious. He's not, this isn't shtick, it's, it's crap. He, John was that word. Good morning, John. He asked John if he could discipline all of you because you weren't team players. He wanted permission to do that. That sucks. Now, what he, Curtis is doing is done with intent. It is malicious. He needs some time off. I'm tired of listening to him. A lot of his shtick is same old, same old, and it's it's tired. I'm not learning anything. Well, I know about the mafia. No, I'm not done. Okay. Um, I'm not done. Now, Avery also is part of this nonsense. He's a little sneak. He needs to be given – well, he needs to be dismissed because he's just a stoolie. He plays the game one way with you, and then he's taping and recording and, Yo, and picking up all the little little nuances that occur, and then he's reporting it to Curtis. What Curtis is doing is wrong. I think John needs to bring in a psychologist and or a psychiatrist to go over a lot of these segments that have been broadcasted. This is not in good fun. It is in bad taste. I'm shocked that John's even allowing this on the station. Thank you, Andrea. I I appreciate you looking out for me. I I really have to reiterate everything I said earlier, right? Uh, if Curtis is, is is criticizing me or anybody else that's on the station, it really isn't fun. And Curtis is a team player. I can't tell you how many events I've had over the years that involve uh, me asking anybody to come to. And Curtis goes out of his way to be there. 
he has um, done everything I've ever asked him to as long as we've known one another, right? So Curtis is a wonderful human being and a good friend and has been a tremendous mentor to me and someone that I've learned a great deal about radio from, honestly. All right, 15 seconds of fame uh, in just a moment. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. If you want to be heard on any issue for 15 seconds, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. time here let me give you an opportunity to be heard for 15 seconds all you have to do is dial 800-848-9222 it's time for the other side of midnight this is 15 seconds of faith david yes the reason those cops in tennessee should be fired is that people with such poor impulse control and judgment should not be serving the public thank you jeff uh, say, there's no man John in New York City, no man John, Eric Adams, and Dave, Big Blue likes meds too. Robert! Askar! We need constitutional carry in the state of New York, KSEP, and we have to remove city and state taxes to make this state function properly. Mike! Good morning, Frank. Um, Frank, while you were rooting around in your wife's pocketbook for your keys... I was curious if um, you came across any classified documents. Seems like they've been turning up everywhere lately. And finally, Frank in Canada. Yeah, Frank, uh, here's one for you. A little prediction come Thursday. The Dow hits 31732. 31732. Put it in the books, folks. Hey, thank you uh, for listening. You want to stay in touch? You can email me, frank.moreno at wabcradio.com. Thanks for listening. Got a lot of interesting stuff tomorrow, including some insight on this UAP report. We'll be joined by uh, Dr. Andresen, who we spoke to on this issue a few days ago. Frank Moreno, good day.